4: Good evening, folks, and welcome to Next on the T. I'm your host, Chris Mascaro, and it's great having you back and a part of the show again with me this week. And I really appreciate the fact that you're allowing us to be a part of your weekly golf content. I want to send a shout out to the folks at the Pittsburgh Tribune Review, my hometown newspaper. Thank you to them, in particular, Jennifer Bertetto, for bringing this show to TribLive.com and the Trib Podcasting Network. It's a dream come true to have this show available in my hometown. It's an exciting development for me and one I'm very thankful for. Like I say, a dream come true for sure. Okay, on to this week's show, and I've got four guests that have great stories and insights that I'm looking forward to sharing with you. First up is going to be our resident director of instruction, Tom Patry. This week I'm going to get T.P.'s thoughts on Tiger telling the PGA Tour that he is going to join the player policy board. We'll revisit whether JT did enough to show he belongs on the U.S. Ryder Cup team following his tied for 12th finish at the Wyndham Championship. We'll talk about some of the other guys who are making a bid to be on the team as well. And a shout out to one of our listeners, James Miranda of the Expat Podcast and his request to get some help from TP to fix his slice. So we'll have all of those things and a bunch more with Tom when he joins me here in just a few minutes. Following him, I'll get a return visit from former PGA Tour pro Richard Zockel. Richard played in 412 PGA Tour events from 1981 to 2001. I want to get his thoughts on what's going on around the game and with the PGA Tour and the PAF and all of that sort of thing. Plus, now he works at a company that he is developing called Mind Track Golf. So we'll dive into the mental side of the game a bit as well when he joins me about 25 minutes from now. After Richard, I'm going to get a long overdue return visit from equipment expert Michael Verska. Michael is a club fitting expert. He's worked for Wilson Adams Golf, and he's now over at Callaway. So we're going to talk about his start in golf, and it's sort of a hole in the wall, gang, sort of baseball, sort of thing that got him into golf. And we'll get into the club fitting and how he got started with that and a whole bunch more. Michael's a fantastic guy, and his knowledge is endless. So looking forward to having him back on the show. He'll join me later on in the hour. And then we're going to round things out with one of the most positive, energetic guys and a TV golf analyst, and that is Darren Pang. Pang, like I say, is just such a fantastic guy. He makes everything that he touches so much better because of his enthusiasm and his positive energy. He's also a Mura Golf Brand ambassador, and you'll hear why when he joins me, plus a guy that has just been absolutely everywhere. played some of the greatest golf courses around the world, and then obviously some here in the States as well with his time in St. Louis and then up in the Chicagoland area. He lives up in Michigan, so he's got a lot of golf experience playing some of the best golf courses, like I say, anywhere around the world. So really looking forward to having Darren back as part of the show. He'll join me at the top of the next hour. So we're going to have a lot of fun, folks, over the next couple of hours. And as always, thank you so much for tuning in and taking the journey with me tonight. I want to start out tonight by reminding you about our friends at the Macklemore, which is a private resort located just south of Chattanooga, high atop Lookout Mountain, Georgia. It's a casual two-hour drive from Atlanta, Nashville, and Birmingham. The existing Highlands course is now ranked in the top 100 courses you can play in the United States by Golf Digest. The 18th hole, as a matter of fact, is ranked in the top 10 finishing holes in the world. A second course, the Outpost, is now under construction, which will open summer of 2024. The Outpost is another Bill and reese Jones design and features a mile and a half of dramatic cliff edge, with every inch of that edge filled with a goffle. A world-class hotel, Cloudland Lookout Mountain Curio Collection by Hilton, will open spring of 2024. Both the course and the hotel have incredible views into historic McLemore Cove, 1,200 feet below. You gotta see it to believe it, folks. Stay, dine, and play golf above the clouds at Macklemore. Go online to macklemore.com to book your stay and play package today. Now let's talk grips. I want to tell you about Lampkin grips. Every shot, as you know, has its own unique feel. The trick? Feel comfortable with each one. And comfort is built into the very DNA of Sonar Plus Black Grips. Composed of their Genesis material that provides supreme comfort and durability with their fingerprint technology creates a strong connection and unforgettable touch. The game changes from shot to shot. The feel on your hand shouldn't. Lampkin. Feel is everything. I also want to remind you about the all-new Stealth 2 driver from TaylorMade. If there's one thing we know golfers want from a driver, it's distance. But there's actually two things we all want. Distance, and let's not forget, forgiveness. That's why TaylorMade designed the Stealth 2 driver with even more carbon for even more far To learn more about the new Stealth 2 driver from TaylorMade, visit them online at TaylorMadeGolf.com. All right, now back for the 80th time. What? With me here on Next Hunt the Tee is our resident director of instruction, Tom Patry. We're on the back nine of this year's golf season, but you're still out there trying to play your best, no doubt, every week. So do yourself a favor. If you can, get down to Naples, Florida, and go see Tom at Club Champion. If you're nowhere near there, well, then download the V1 video app, select Tom as your instructor, and send him videos of your golf swing through there. You can check out Tom online on his website, TomPatrick.com, or on Instagram at TomPatrickGolf. And as I always say, be sure to subscribe to his YouTube channel and watch those 300 free video playing lessons. And as always, it is a huge privilege to get to that. Tom Patry is back with me again tonight here on Next On The T. Hey, T.P. How are you, my friend? you boy? <laughs> Ooh, a little harmony tonight for your 80th visit. I like
3: it. Eight, is that right? Is it really 80 visits?
4: 80 times tonight. Who would, why would you do that to yourself? Seriously. I don't know. I ask myself that every other week. Why do I do, <laughs> I do this to myself? <laughs> <laughs> but here we are. There we are. All right, so let's get right into it, because I got to get your thoughts. Tiger Woods called up the PGA Tour, Jay Monaghan or whoever, and told them he wanted to be on the player policy board. And I'm sure it was was more of a statement than it was a question. But what do you make of Tiger giving them a call and say, hey, I'm I'm on this board now? You
3: know, I called Jay, too, and he didn't take my call, Chris. I don't understand. Really? Yeah, can you imagine that? No. Well, first of all, I think it's interesting on one hand that you, you just call the commissioner and you say I want to be on, and they put you on like overnight. Virtually, it's not a process. It's not an interview. It's fun, and I understand. I understand it's called Tiger Woods. I get it. Yeah. But so that 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 was kind of interesting to me that you say I'm on. So watch out, you here I am I'm on, <laughs> and, and it just happened. Uh, I thought that was an interesting twist. I'm also interested, relieved, excited, um, puzzled, and all the all the contrasting emotions that the overwhelming support that he's received from the players, which leads me to believe that there's still a lot of, a lot of hard feelings from players towards Jay Monaghan and the way things are done kind of uh, covertly. Um, And they want to make sure that it doesn't happen again. So they want to level the playing field. And they understand that, that nobody would sit in the room with Tiger and just kind of go, Hey, we're going to do this right. And without any, pushback or you know explain it to me in a little more detail and let's let's get the player's opinion so i think from a player's standpoint it's really good uh really good that, that somebody like that is in the room who does have the best interest of the player in mind and best interest of tournament golf in mind it's just interesting the way everything has happened these last six or eight months um there's been so many bizarre twists and turns this is just the next one that's all just you know what What's going to happen next? Maybe Bozo the Clown is going to be on the board next week or something. You know, I mean, you know, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just—I I mean, what could possibly happen next, Chris? I mean, that that would that would shock us.
4: Yeah, and I don't know what that is, but I share your sentiments about having Tiger as a part of the board now. I mean, look, I I have maintained throughout the last eighteen months that uh, he has been there shaking his head about what has happened, what has transpired, what the guys on the board have allowed to happen. And obviously this end around that Monaghan did to bring the, the PIF and, and and potentially the PGA tour into a partnership. I mean, you go back to last summer when they, he had the players only meeting and he, and he got Ricky and they got on the plane and they, and they went up and, and had a players only meeting after right. sure he was sitting there shaking his head going, you guys are a band of idiots. No, you sit there. I'm going to go have this conversation with the players to stem this tide or more guys going over to live and then after this whole announcement i thought he just was like you got to be kidding me. seriously all right yeah. you know what i've had enough of you guys making decisions i'm i'm you know he's al haig now i'm taking i i'm in control right, right. so right. uh and i think that's the right thing to do I mean, look the pga tour and you know this better than i do tom is supposed to be a players run tour but for the longest time It was the guys that were on the board who had never been players on the PGA tour making decisions. And now we've got a six five in the favor of the players on that board. Now we know one of the, one of the members resigned when he heard the news about this PIF merger partnership, whatever you want to call it. He was so disgusted. He resigned. So they've got a a position to fill, but I I think it should stay just the way it is right now. Six five in favor of the players. That way they ensure the fact that nothing is ever, nothing like this is ever going to happen again. You're not going to be able to do an end around on us. You're not going to have the majority vote. It's not even going to be a tie. The players will decide what we do going forward. And oh, by the way, you can talk about who is the CEO of the PGA Tour. You can talk about who the chairman of the board is. It's Tiger Woods. Everything now is going to run through Tiger.
3: Yeah, I I think he's certainly got a lot of clout. I mean, they'll put somebody else on there. It'll be a six-six situation. But you know, they'll they'll be able to still make anything that happens. And certainly they'll get the news right away if something funny is going on to the to the membership and if if there's something funny going on like last time or an end of the round going on and, it, and and the word gets out, it's it's gonna be it's gonna be ugly, Chris. Really ugly. So I, I don't I don't yeah. think there's any, any chance of that happening again. But and you got listen, whether you like Tiger or you don't like Tiger, whether you love Tiger or you don't love Tiger, it's it's great it's great for the tour and great for the players that he's in that position now. Yeah.
4: hundred percent. I want to talk a little bit about Justin Thomas. We've been talking about him the last few times you've been on the show, and we've talked about his struggles this season. But last weekend, finished tied for 12th at the Wyndham Championship. He ended up finishing 71st in the FedEx Cup standings. We all know the top 70 go on to the playoffs, so one spot outside of it. But his last three rounds in this tournament, 65, 66, 68, needed a birdie on that final hole to get up into that 70th spot. He nearly hold it. From 30 yards, his pitch shot was right on line, bounced a couple of times, hit the stick, but didn't go in, unfortunately. But uh, ultimately, that close to the playoffs was what we saw from him over those three rounds of golf. Enough to show Captain Patrick that he belongs on the Ryder Cup team.
3: Uh, No, Chris, it wasn't. I mean, and and I'm going to start this by saying I'm a Justin Thomas fan. Um, But you have six picks that are locked in already you know, six that earned their way in. You have six guys behind that that are, you know, seven through twelve. Um and and you know, you've got you've got to you've got to give these guys credit for, for getting themselves in that position. So what you're asking me to do is to leapfrog leapfrog Justin Thomas over any number of those guys or any one of those guys who have earned the position they're in because it's either a popularity contest or on past on past accolades you have to go there to win that cup and you've got to go there with the, the players that are playing the best right now. Uh, and, and he's not one of the players playing his best right now. And I think if he looked himself in the mirror and was honest, he, he would say that too. Now, is he going to take himself out of the running and say, Hey, Hey, Zach, I'm going to take a pass in this. And, you know, I understand. Don't even worry about it. No, probably not. Um, but he should, he should, um, it's too important and and it's, and it's too prestigious for guys who worked their rear ends off over the last two years to get themselves into this position to, because of a name who's played great golf in the past. He's played great golf on, on the team in the past, but is not in good form right now. Uh, clearly not in good form right now um, to, to, you know, just, Give him the nod. I, I just don't think he can do that. I don't think, I don't
4: think it's the right thing to do. So, if we look at the top standings for the US Ryder Cup points, Justin Thomas is 14. We know that there are 12 guys. The top six are automatically in. And then the guys after that are up to Zach Thomas and his co captains for who they want as a part of the team. You know, seven is Max Homa, eight is Cam Young, nine is Jordan Spieth. 10 is Keegan Bradley. 11 is Colin Morikawa. 12 is now Sam Burns, who leaped over Ricky Fowler. So if you went all chalk, those those are the 12 guys. Now, like I say, Ricky's now 14. And Justin Thomas is right there. Uh, Ricky's now 13. I'm sorry, Justin Thomas now 14. So is there anything from Tom Patrick with those guys that are in the the FedEx Cup playoff? Let's say Keegan Bradley plays terrible in the, in the playoff. He you know, doesn't make cuts. Doesn't advance, he's out. Or anyone. I mean, I don't want to pick on Keegan. It's just any any one of those guys plays poorly. Like, look, Colin Morkawa hasn't exactly lit the world on fire this You're year. Right, has
3: you? You're right, absolutely.
4: Not. Right. So when when you think about any of those other guys, if any of them play poorly enough, going back to Justin, I mean, the guy's sixteen, five and three in his Presidents Cup and Ryder Cup career. If those guys play bad enough. Do you do you go do you go back and go look? Do I want a Justin Thomas? The fire, the experience, the guy that's not going to get nervous on the first tee at a Ryder Cup or in a match. Is there anything that could happen to change your opinion about who those guys should be? I
3: mean, somebody has to play really poorly. And and if anybody's going to live prog anybody right now, it's got to be Ricky Fowler, I think. Because, I mean, he's certainly got some momentum right now. He's played great the second half of the year. I mean, great, not good. Great the second half of the year. Got back in the winner's circle. So if somebody's going to leapfrog somebody, it's going to be Ricky before Justin. And to have it to be Justin, also, you're telling me two guys have to leapfrog two guys. Gee, that would uh, that that's a that's a political fireball right there. And, and listen, I, it's not we're not playing politics, we're playing golf. But I don't I don't I don't see I still don't see Justin Thomas. Sorry, I'm, I see Ricky possibly very possibly, and, and I tell you right now, I mean, even before the playoffs start, you know, like you said, Colin Martell has not done anything in the second half of this year, and as has not Jordan Spieth. So, you know, even before the playoffs start, I, I'd be leaning hard on Ricky over one of those two players already.
4: The two guys at the end, again, Burns is 12, Ricky's 13. and Sam Burns... He had a tied for 14th last week, and like I say, that that got him over ahead of Ricky in the standings. But I think people are kind of quick to dismiss him as a captain's pick. I mean, the guy did win the WGC match play event earlier this year, which speaks volumes. Uh, obviously, you'd feel pretty good about him in a in a singles match at the Ryder Cup. Right. Um, he's 19th on the in the FedEx Cup standings. Should he actually be getting more love? Should he have already been getting more love because of his last two seasons and Winning at the WGC,
3: yeah, he's you know he's played he's played himself into that position for a reason. There's no doubt about it. He's a Sam Burns, a fine player, and he and he's proven that you know on more than one occasion. And he's got a, he's got a lot of grit, man. He he's he's a grinder. So I mean, I would I, I wouldn't mind having him as my partner any day of the week. But um, you know, I don't envy I don't envy Zach Johnson right now. Both both from a golf standpoint and from a political standpoint, he's got. He's got a lot sitting on his plate right now. And, you know, no matter what he does, he's going to get criticized. So, you know, we're, we're, we're being armchair quarterbacks right now and saying, you know, maybe this guy, maybe that guy. Why not this guy? Why not that guy? But we're not the guy actually making the decision. He's, he's, got, he's got a lot on his plate right now. And I don't, I don't envy his position at all.
4: Speaking of the why not that guy. And I know what Mrs. Patrick would say to this. <laughs> and I know you don't care much about it. Bryson DeChambeau won his first live tour event and he did so in pretty grand fashion shooting a 58 in the final round draining about a 35 footer for that 58 and regardless of the tour i mean he played it at the Greenbrier. they played pga tour events there for decades that's not a a slouch of a golf course shouldn't bryson get a little love i mean the guy played pretty darn well last go round two oh and one in his Ryder cup matches seems like Hey, you should get a little get a little consideration.
3: Chris, yes, I'm a PGA member, a long-standing PGA member. You know how I feel about the game of golf; it's my life. Uh, I'm a big I'm a big love guy of of team competition. I love the Presidents Cup. I love the Ryder Cup. If Bryson DeChambeau is on the Ryder Cup team, I can promise you, I will not turn on the TV set. Oh,
4: that's that's as harsh as Mrs. Patrick on this.
3: I will not turn on the TV set because if I do, Mr. Thatcher will throw
4: something. <laughs> <laughs>
3: no, I, I have, I have uh, no, love, I, I have no love for Bryce Deschamps. I could care less. I mean, but if he's if he's on that team, I'm not, I'm not turning on the TV. I'm, I'm not going to watch it.
4: All right, let's uh, let's switch gears a little bit. Let's go over to the Champions Tour because I want to get your thoughts on the Senior Open. Alex Krychel prevailed in a playoff over Padraig Harrington. But they played in brutal conditions during the final rounds. And for those folks who didn't see it, the round of the day was shot by our friend Rob LeBritz in round four. He shot an even par 71. That was the best round of the day. 26 players shot 80 or worse in that round. And Rob had a heck of a turnaround because he shot 86 in the third round. Right. Krejci, Harrington, VJ. Those were the top three guys. And again, Krejci and Harrington went into a playoff. But those three guys shot 76. 75, 77 respectively, in the final round. Tom, I one of the things I think that speaks to is you've got to be pretty mentally tough to kind of stay in it when course conditions are that bad. And try to go out there and post the best number that you can based on what you're dealing with out there. But talk about that.
3: Yeah, I I you know, Chris, I, I love playing overseas. I'm a big fan of Lynx Golf. I've always have always have been. And it really started because I grew up on the east end of Long Island out towards Shinnecock Hills. And I remember playing high school golf in March in on Long, on the East End of Long Island. It'd be, you know, forty-five degrees and in the you know, late in the day the sun would be dropping, it would drop down into the high thirties, and you'd get a little little sleep going out there and stuff, and and you'd be freezing your rear end off. And and then I remember as an adult for the first time going over to Scotland, I was so excited to go over the first time. And it, I remember it was an October trip. and the first two days, it was glorious. It was you know sixty five and sunny and no wind and it was just perfect. And then the third day, all hell broke through at Carnoustie. And and if you've never played Carnoustie, Chris, it's it's when when you die if you're sent to hell, you have to play Carnoustie and Oakmont date back to back every day for the rest <laughs> of your life. Every day for the rest <laughs> of your life. And it. it the temperature dropped to the mid 40s, the wind started blowing 35 miles an hour, it started raining, and it was the and it was already the hardest golf course on the planet that I'd ever seen. It was brutal. And i I can I have no problem saying I shot one of the greatest 85s of my career <laughs> that day. And it, it was it was it felt like 65. Um for people who've never played in those conditions on a Lynx golf course with the wind blowing sideways you can't explain how hard it is. You can't explain how difficult it is to get the ball in the hole. You can't explain that uh, a docile 420-yard par four that's slightly uphill into the wind all of a sudden plays 600 yards. I mean, just – and and downwind, it seems like it's going to be easy, but if you have a little wedge shot into the green, you can't even come close to controlling the ball stopping or making it spin. Um, you know, in bunker shots, the sand's blowing everywhere. On the green, your you know your rain pants are flapping, and 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 you're you're not in balance, and you can't you can't explain to people how hard it is. And, and listen, we know how talented those guys are. We know how good they are. They're they're the best in the world as in the, as seniors. They they shoot unbelievable scores day in and day out. And when they shoot those kind of scores, you have to understand that something unusual is going on out there.
4: Tom um, and. Jay Monahan's big return to his oh, job on the PGA oh. Tour.
1: He announced
4: that. that the tour would not be adopting the model local rule, rolling the golf ball back. They seem to agree that there's a distance problem. They just don't support the fact that the golf ball is where that problem lies or how to solve it. We know that the USGA and the RNA were for it. We know that Fred Ridley and Augusta National was going to support it. So where does everybody go from here?
3: Chris, who who won the Open Championship? Brian Harmon. Is Brian Harmon in the top third on the PGI Tour driving distance?
4: He is not.
3: Is he in the top half in driving distance? Probably not. Okay. and it, But he won the Open Championship, right? He did. And he won it over players that hit vast distances longer than him, did he not? He did. He was playing with the same ball they were playing with, was he not? He was. Okay it's not the ball and that's not the answer. Okay. Now the USGA is going to press this thing and the RNA is going to press this thing. And they're probably going to get, you know, aligned properly with the, you know, with Augusta national and, and, and some and different governing bodies. And the PJ tour is going to say, you know what, we're not buying into this and it's not the deal for us. And it's going to be a division and it's going to be ugly. And it's going to be the next controversy. and, and I just think that the ball is not the answer. That's not the, I mean, listen, I don't think you go backwards. You know, I think the whole, listen, they screwed up the long putter situation. They did a wonderful job with that. And now they're screwing up this. It, it's, they, they're, they're unbelievably talented at screwing this thing up. They, they do this so well every time they decide to get on, on their soapbox on a different topic. Um,
4: I don't think the ball's the answer. So where do you go though? I mean if 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 that's it and and I think that's I mean look, I I have I would have to imagine and I'm going to talk to Michael Verska about this l- a little bit later on in the show. But if I'm a manufacturer, I would think that the cost for me to retool my oh. entire plant, right? I mean they make millions of golf balls. Right? I mean to 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 retool a plant, to change all of that has got to be an an ungodly expense to do that. So it, so that's why I got to believe that, you know, not only is, is Monahan and the players against this, I got to believe that the manufacturers aren't on board with this either. Now, if I was going to change something, I don't know, could I change? I've heard a lot of people suggest changing the size of the driver head, because, as you know, back in the day, and this goes back to Persimmon Woods and a lot of golf ball, but the hardest club to hit in the bag, unless you were Jack Nicklaus, was, you know, a one iron or a driver. I mean, the driver was the hardest thing for anybody to hit, and now it's probably one of the easiest clubs to hit because we have twist face and cup face and trampoline and you know all that stuff that's happening on the driver head. And it's you know you're you're swinging a you know a, a club like the like the Flintstones used to have because the size of the head. I I just got to believe that that maybe we pivot that direction. I don't know. What do you think,
3: Chris? What was the winning score at o- at Oak Hill for the PGA Championship? well, uh, I have to go back and look, but. <clears throat> it wasn't. It wasn't twenty under, right? It was not. No. Okay. It wasn't. I don't think it was ten under, was it? Uh, I
4: would guess it was in the single digits, but I'll look okay. while you're talking.
3: Okay. So w- why were the scores higher there? It was the same ball, right? So what was different?
4: Yeah, I would. I, you know, look, car, course setup is the other thing people are pointing to. So, but- so listen,
3: when I play golf and you play golf, and, and I I play on a very nice condition golf course, Crown County. It's 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 in great shape during season it uh, my superintendent does a wonderful job and i hit a good drive it it might roll 10 or 12 yards when it lands okay if it if it's properly struck and you turn on cbs on sunday afternoon somebody hits a drive and it lands and we see that thing roll 40 yards on the ground 40 on the ground and they go oh he he hit it 340 no he hit it hit it 298 or 297 and it rolls 45 yards. Okay. And then they get into this thing called rough on a day, on a week-to-week basis other than majors, and the rough looks like my my, my living room shag carpet. There's, there's nothing there. And the greens put perfectly, and they're nice and receptive. So if we change those course conditions on a regular basis and we put a little bit more water in the fairways, and the fairways actually have rough on either side of the center line, and the green conditions were a little firmer, we wouldn't be having this discussion right now. And Bruce
4: Kepka okay. was nine under at the PGA Championship.
3: There you go. Thank you very much.
4: Thank you very much,
3: Your Honor. I rest my case. Can we bring in the next <laughs> few idiots? It's, I it's, so it's, listen, no, listen. let me finish this though. The sure. golf ball. The golf ball is an incredible instrument compared to what I played with, let's say during my college days. The you go know, back to the ballada ball, which we thought was a Cadillac. And it's actually an etzel by today's by today's comparison. So is the golf ball the most incredible instrument in my bag? It's more incredible than my driver. It's more incredible than my my Scotty Cameron putter or my Volvik wedges. It's it's an incredible piece of equipment compared to what we're used to in the past in this game. Are my clubs better? Are the are the shafts I'm using just unimaginable compared to where I came from? Absolutely. But the agronomy. I think is something we have to point to and course conditions on tour lend to low scores and long golf balls. Okay. And you know what birdies and Eagles are exciting, but we all like to watch that occasional car crash. Don't we? We like to see that wreck on, 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 on turn three. So we can do that by changing course conditions. And these guys are so talented, they're gonna shoot, somebody's still going to shoot a good score every week. Okay? Somebody's, when you put that many talented people together, somebody's going to shoot a low score. Okay. But the course conditions far outweigh, I think, the golf ball right now.
4: One of the big things still left to decide this season is who's going to be player of the year. The two favorites right now are John Rahm and Scotty Scheffler. Rahm, of course, won the Masters, finished tied for second at the Open and tied for 10th at the U.S. Open, but Scheffler's been the more consistent player. I mean, he had a streak of 19 straight top 12 finishes until the Open when he finished tied for 23rd, but going back to early this season, he won the Players' Championship, and those two guys you think are going to be fighting it out, and we'll see how they do the rest of the playoffs, but is it really just those two guys? Is there someone else you think that should be in the discussion. Has one of those guys already won it, in your opinion? What do you think about the player of the year discussion?
3: No, those are, your, those are certainly your two front runners, no doubt about it. They both had incredible, inc- incredible years. I think that without singling out anybody by name right now, one of those players is extremely popular among his peers and is going to be a player vote. And one of them isn't quite as popular for various reasons. Okay, and unfortunately, what will probably happen is probably it'll turn into a player of the year slash popularity contest vote. And this one player will win over the other player. Um, Not that he should or shouldn't win, but I'm not sure he'll win for all the right reasons. And and that's unfortunate um, because the other player who doesn't get the vote had had a great year, too. I think it's so close in in different ways. Um, one was more consistent, but one did something extremely dramatic at a very prestigious event. Um, you know, could it be a co-player of the year? It, it, it could. It won't, it won't happen, but there could. Um, I think it's going to turn into a little bit of a popularity vote, though.
4: Tom, um, one more before I let you go, and I uh, want to get a playing lesson from you because one of our listeners on the Expat Podcast, their host, James Doran, reached out and asked for help with his slice. So for those of us who struggle with slicing the golf ball off the tee, what are some tips that you can give James and the rest of us to help us keep it in the fairway?
3: I, I, I wish James would help me with mine right now because mine, <laughs> mine's not, going, mine's not always going where I want it to go either right now. Um, It's funny, Chris, because I I hit a fade and my misses when I overcut it or overfade it. And it goes from a power fade to a balloon ball that looks like a dying quail. So I'm I'm well versed in that in that uh, in that era. Um, You know, the first thing I always check when players have a face condition and and to me, listen, the two things that affect ball flight in terms of curvature the most are face and path. Those are the two big, there are other factors, but those are the two big kahunas. And I always tell people when I teach them, I say, listen, the face is king and path is the queen. Okay. The face is the big kahuna. So the first thing you've got to control is the face. That, that's the biggest thing you can, you, can, you can get your arms wrapped around. So I'm going to tell you, James, if you're hitting a really big banana ball or slice to the right, that the face condition is definitely going to be to some degree open and impact. So the first thing you check, when we have a face problem, the first thing I check is the grip, particularly the left hand grip. Is it in the fingers enough? Is it in a strong enough condition? Uh, and it's probably not. It's funny, Chris, every single lesson I give to a club member or a recreational golfer, the first thing I do is ask them to put their hands on the club and I go through a grip check and 99%, 99.9% of the time, I find the left hand grip up in the palm of the hand somewhere. And I said, and Melissa, if you want to hit if you want to hit bananas to the right and do you do that they go yeah Tom we do we do that a lot I said, well you're supposed to with that grip you're supposed to hit it just where you're hitting it so I make that that check and that change first if I have to and usually that you know you're, oh you're a miracle worker no I'm not a miracle worker it's just it's cause and effect um and we, and we check we check the big culprit which was the grip which affects the face um, from there we we then we, we work on path and one of the things that is so great about this when people don't believe you, Chris, is all you have to do is put on track, just put two, two data tiles up. You have to put path and face up. And if you see those big negative numbers come up uh, on path, which means the club is coming over the top and across the line, and then the face is open or very, very positive, you, know, you need a guy sitting there, beautiful pull, banana cut. So if you square the face up, then he hits a pull, and that, well, that feels strong all of a sudden. It feels really good. Those pulls go a long way, but except unfortunately, they go a long ways offline. So now we've got the face squared up. Now we've got to get the path, and we got to get the path moving a little more or slightly more into out. So that's a progressive change. It doesn't happen overnight. Everybody thinks it's going to happen in 30 minutes. They're, they're sadly mistaken. You don't change your motor skill um, tendency in 30 minutes. But to James out there, please check your left-hand grip first.
4: Tom, before I let you go, remind our listeners, how can they stay up to date with all the great things you're doing? Get your tips and lessons online and uh, on your website and social media.
3: So, Chris, let me do one correction from my wonderful host, the greatest host in the world on Golf Podcast. Uh, the club champion thing is coming to an end. It is basically sold out to I'm done there, which is mid-September. So there's no more availability there at all. I'm both sad and happy to say it's been a great summer season. Uh, I'll take a little bit of a brief break, and I'll start back up at uh, the Golf Club at Crown Colony on October 20th. Um, Tom's got a little golf coming up. He's got uh, a couple of trips to Key West to do some fishing. He's got uh, the Section Senior Championship and the Chapter Senior Championship coming up. I'm pretty excited about both of those. I've been working on my game a little bit. Hopefully, I won't fall on my face. So I'll play <laughs> those two events. So I know you'll be bugging me about what you shoot, what you shoot. Um, I'm actually going over there tomorrow night to play a practice round the following day at Lost Tree with Matt Caleb, the pro at Seminole, following morning. I'm excited about that. Um, But as far as keeping up uh, pre crown colony and knowing what's going on, uh, you know, all the obvious places uh, Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, you know, yada, yada, yada. And they can subscribe to my newsletter if they want on my website at www.tompatry.com. But more importantly, You can keep up with me on the greatest podcast in the world, hosted by Chris Mascaro every other Tuesday night here on Next on the T, because he is the greatest guy on the waves.
4: (laughs) I appreciate you very much, T.C. You're the best, my friend. Well, the best of luck over at those golf tournaments and getting your game in shape and the practice rounds and all that sort of thing. You're right. I will be bugging the heck out of you to hear how well you did, not only because I want to know, but all of our listeners want to know as well.
3: I'll do my best, my friend. I promise.
4: Stay safe, my friend. All the best in your family. I'm already looking forward to two weeks from tonight. Love
3: you, pal. You're the best.
4: Thanks, Tom. See you, buddy. Bye. That is the great Tom Patrick, folks, and they just don't come better than that guy. That's a, a huge blessing every other week that we get to have him as part of the show and get his insights, pick his brain, get some tips as well. Again, be sure to follow him on his website. TomPatrick.com. P-A-T-R-I is the spelling of his last name at Tom Patrick Golf on Instagram. And again, go out there on his YouTube channel. Get those free lessons, folks. They're really going to make a difference in how well you play. Looking forward to catching up with Tom again in a couple of weeks. Okay, coming up next is a guy who helped BYU win the 1980 National Championship. He's in the British Columbia Golf Hall of Fame and the Canadian Golf Hall of Fame. And that is Richard Zockel. Before I get to Richard of the Teaching Spectrum, and that is Dr. Allison Kurt. Before I get to Allison, I was talking with Eddie Dry, VP of Domestic Sales for Strixon Cleveland Golf, at the PGA Merchandise Show earlier this year. And I said, Eddie, I like your CBX full face wedges. How can they help an average player like me play better? Here's what he had to say
2: An average player, I use one, and I'm in some lies that you can't even believe. And. I need all the help
1: I can get. And the face is bigger and the grooves go all the way up and all the way out to the toe. So if I you hit it on the toe, you miss it, bam, there's a groove. So I like that. So I carry a 58.
4: There you have it, folks. Try the new CBX full face wedges from Cleveland Golf. I want to tell you about something else I saw at the PGA Merchandise Show, and that's me and my golf. And how does a 45-day free trial to Arco sound? Well, me and my golf have partnered with Arcos and are offering 14 free sensors and a 45-day free trial to Arcos Caddy when you purchase any training aid on shop.meandmygolf.com. This is a limited-time offer, so don't miss out. Again, go online to shop.meandmygolf.com. With many years in the business, menswear brand Construct has finally launched its green golf collection sustainably produced using renewable solar energy and recycled fabrics. Hit your best shot in their performance-enhancing polos, quarter zips, and bottoms. Made with four-way stretch, quick dry, and UV 50-plus protection. From solids to bold eye-catching designs, Construct Green is the perfect piece for making the best memories on the greens. And the best part? You can head to construct.com, and that's C-O-N-X-S-T-R-U-C-T.com, and use code CHRIS for 20% off the green collection today. Now back and next on the tee with me and making his seventh appearance on this show is former PGA Tour Pro Richard Sokol. Let me remind you about his background. He's from Kitimat, British Columbia, which is on the coast in the central part of the province. He played his college golf at Brigham Young from 1977 to 1981, where he helped them to First or second place finishes in the Western Athletic Conference all four years he was there. They finished second in the National Championship in 1980. A year later, he captained them to the 1981 National Championship. Individually, Richard won the International Champions Tournament over in Morocco in 1980. In 2009, that 81 BYU golf team, well, they were inducted into the Brigham Young Athletics Hall of Fame. That year, he was also inducted into the British Columbia Golf Hall of Fame. Richard won the 1981 Canadian Amateur Championship by a stroke over Blaine McAllister in a sudden-death playoff, and then he turned pro. Among his other wins were the 1982 British Columbia Open and the 1984 Utah State Open. On the PGA Tour, he won twice in 1992 at the Deposit Guarantee Classic and the Greater Milwaukee Open. In 2001, he won the Canadian PGA Championship, and in 2011, he was inducted into the Canadian Golf Hall of Fame. He is now the founder and CEO of Mind track Golf, which you can find online at MindTrackGolf.com. And track is spelled T-R-A-K, so MindTrackGolf.com, again, is the website. And I couldn't be more honored that he is back with me again tonight here on Next on the T. Hey, Richard, thanks for coming back on the show.
0: Hey, Chris, it's a pleasure to be with you. And uh, you're very gracious in your, in your due diligence and uh, in your research. So uh, thank you very much. Good to talk with you.
4: Absolutely. So, Richard, it's, it's been a minute since we got to have you as part of the show. Catch us up. What's been going on with you?
0: Well, life is, is, is proceeding. There's no, no doubt about that. Um, it's interesting to uh, listen to all the antics that you were just talking with your last uh, guest, Tom Patry, and uh, fascinating stuff. I'm, I, I, I really enjoyed what Tom had to say and, and, and could tell that he has a lot of knowledge and really enjoyed his perspective up until he talked about the golf ball, Chris, Uh, it sounded to me like he was coming out of the Titleist playbook, but, uh, (laughs) but but, um, uh, interesting stuff, lots to talk about. Where do you want to begin?
4: Well, let's start right there. Give me, give me your thoughts as a guy who played on tour for a couple of decades. Give me your thoughts on, on where, where do we go with this thing? If, if the PGA Tour doesn't want to adopt the model local rule, mm. then we and on the opposite side of that, obviously, we had the USGA and the RNA that were in right. favor of it. Fred Ridley and Augusta National said they'd support it. Where do we go? Well,
0: it, it, it's adding to the conundrum that's already confusing. And, and if you don't mind, I, I do want to back up a little bit prior to that we, uh, on the PGA Tour where you know for decades the pga tour as you mentioned was was a players run tour and and you know and that came about because it it came from the statements of the three commissioners and unfortunately all the players swallowed it hook line and sinker and what unfortunately in this mess that we're in all of us who, who play this game have been watching the pga tour found out that that's just not the case and and it's been an argument that many of us about twenty years ago was trying to make progress with on the PGA Tour. That you know there was a bunch of us wanting to look into the books of the PGA Tour and find out not only where the money was coming from, but how it was being distributed and what governances were going on. And and we it was very difficult to get that information. It, there was no transparency whatsoever to the members. So the whole notion that this was a players tour was it was is just not the case and and now i think that with tiger being given a position on the policy board is good because i think the players are going to have a lot of faith in tiger whereas they've lost a lot of faith in the commissioner because of what we watched unfold these decisions being made before even other players on the pol- or players on the policy board even found out was just a bit of a shock and and i think there needs to be some restructuring either the players have control of the board which they do not right now and I think they should or or have a situation Chris where there's an election to the board of directors and that's controlled by uh the players all the players voting at an annual general meeting an election to the board one of those pathways w- would give the players control and 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 make sure that they um they, they move in the right direction. Now we're in a bit of a mess because, you know, the, the 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 public investment fund of Saudi Arabia is going to be funding the PGA Tour. And even though Jay Monaghan's going to be, uh, you know, the commissioner of it, the chairman's going to be His Excellency Yashir al-Ramayan. And he's going to have his hand on the faucet that flows billions of dollars into the PGA Tour. And the last time I, I recall what the name of this is Chris is the golden rule and the man with the gold makes the rules. So it is a bit of a conundrum. Well, I mean, and and a lot of people don't like it. Um, And there's going to be a lot, there is a lot of moving parts in this. And, and, uh, and I think that, uh, and now that the, the, it's going to be interesting to see how things unfold. And there's going to be the taintedness in the PGA tour and professional golf right now, because I think there's going to be no stopping the PI the pif they're going to be uh, going in and and perhaps looking at other sports as well the lpga and 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 unfortunately too many people and organizations will want to grab the money and and uh, it's it's a it's it it's it just unfortunately moving in the wrong direction now on the golf ball i think that uh i am a believer of the ball is a significant part of the problem i think you're right and the head is is part of the problem too, and this the size of the sweet spot is a part of the problem. But I'd love to see that golf ball spin more. And I think what would happen in, in an argument to Tom Petrie's uh, Petrie's uh, argument is that no player on the PGA Tour, when you ask them, "Would do you want to hit it shorter?" There isn't a golfer that would say, "Yeah, I, I I do want to hit it shorter." There's no There's no way with that. That doesn't work. But what will happen if they make that ball spin more than those that are hitting their tee shots with reckless abandon, uh, and there's a lot of those players, are going to have to would find the 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 rough and the trees a lot more. And the guys like Brian Harmon, who are top quality ball strikers, they would be getting an advantage um, in their ability to 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 ball strike um, compared to the average player on the PGA Tour. And I think that is the skill, and that is the why the PGA. Sorry, the the USGA is is trying to pull back and I think the ball's just the first step. I think they need to bifurcate and 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 make that head smaller for the professional player. And 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 quite frankly, yes, it's going to cost the 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 uh dig into the profits from all the golf ball manufacturers, but boy oh boy have they made out like bandits. Yeah, you know, uh, the way it has in the past few decades. So, um that's my those are my top of the line thoughts on on um, on the PGA tour and the ball and uh, happy to answer answer any more questions.
4: Yeah, so you, you mentioned faith a minute ago and, and, and players having faith in the tour and in, and in Jay Monahan. Mm-hmm. If you were if you were out there playing on the tour and could you trust Jay Monahan? Could you have faith in the guys that have been leading the tour? Again, not the players, but the other guys on the board of directors and then and then Jay himself as CEO, could you have faith in them anymore after what's happened? Well, there's definitely
0: going to be a change because you saw a year ago with with the way the way Jay was talking to Jim Nance at the Canadian Open and looking into the camera and saying that, you know, this is sport washing and we don't do that. We're above this. And and he was, you know, he got um uh Rory McElroy who did a brilliant job on putting the PGA Tour on his shoulders and fighting for um his beliefs and the PG on the PGA Tour side against uh, the PIF uh, of Saudi and uh, and 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 Jay talking to Congress and trying to get them involved and then and and with Rory doing such a remarkable job winning the way he did it he stuck his neck out and he got his neck chopped off basically and and now when this announcement the surprise that Jay and and El Ramayan were on. On television together before they made an announcement to everyone, you're going to feel betrayed. Uh, I think uh, I feel I don't even play on the PGA Tour anymore. I'm a life member, but I feel betrayed, and 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 so there's this capitulation again that's happened, and the PGA Tour capitulated on the ping uh, with the ping lawsuit back in 1992 or three, I think it was on the courthouse steps. Um, because they didn't want to lose. And 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 it's a really unfortunate that the PGA tour, and I think it is has to fall on Jay Monaghan's um uh uh, shoulders, is that, you know, like, you know, did they have to spend that much money for that palatial clubhouse or headquarters, you know, spending the money for them to and they were in such a good position legally, both in the European side and on the American side on their fight against it. But uh when push comes to shove and they realize they didn't have the funds to sustain this that uh then you, you capitulate it was really a sad day for golf and I think to answer your question yes you would lose faith in jay monahan as a commissioner now he's getting a chance to perhaps earn it back but this is where tiger comes in i think tiger is going to be the new the new uh leader of the of the of the PGA tour and i think the players do have uh faith in tiger woods
4: yeah and i agree 100% with that richard i mean i think tiger has been disappointed by what he has seen. And I, obviously I don't know Tiger and I, and I'm projecting on him, but when I look at a guy like Tiger that has gone through all the things that he's gone through, and now he's spending a lot of time with Charlie and his family and, and all of those sorts of things. I, I almost feel like he's Michael Corleone. Like, you know, just when I thought I was out, they pull me back in, you know, he's, he's got to come in because the players I think are look to him as they have for decades for leadership. And the guy that's been the face of the tour and all of that sort of thing, and we all know he moves the needle and is the needle. Now he's got to come back in, and I think he's got to assert himself. And I don't know if he's if he wanted to do that, but I think he needed to do that. And I think the players, if there's one person, all of the players can trust. I think they feel like it's Tiger Woods, and he had to come in and and become a part of this the policy board. And I think you're right, Richard. I think he is the guy now. Say all you want about. About Jay Monahan and his and mm-hmm. his position and the other guys that are on the board of directors, I think Tiger Woods is the guy that's going to call the shots from now.
0: I, I think you're right uh, in, in in you know this when his father said Tiger's got a higher calling. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> I think now that his best days are behind him, and that doesn't mean he still can't go out there and perhaps win a major or two, you know, in the in in the future. But um, the fact that he took this side. Him and Rory, and 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 uh, there is no chance Tiger Woods will capitulate. It's just not in his DNA, and 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 I think you know, and, and no, all of us are wondering what happened where Tiger was, and we were waiting for his comments and hadn't heard anything. But um, I think his higher calling is is to, you know, uh, to do the best for the PGA to represent the players, and I think the players want him to do that. Uh, And and I like, you know, I I would I would have faith in Tiger Woods right now more than anyone else. And uh, so I think uh, I think you're on track with that one, Chris.
4: And Richard, you you mentioned how much money they've been spending. I mean, we've seen purses go through the roof. I mean, 20 million dollar purses. I mean, some of the elevated events have higher purses than the majors do. Needing the money. Is this a thing where the PGA tour was trying so hard to try to compete with the live tour and the the amount of money and all that sort of stuff. And they started to squeeze their sponsors for more and more money. And there just wasn't any more money that was going to come now going to the PIF and getting the money and doing the thing that they, the very thing that they told the players not to do, right. Don't go to live. Don't take their money. As you pointed out, you know, all the, all the negative stuff that, was said about the PIF and the Saudi money and all that sort of stuff, was the fact that things were escalating and these purses needed to escalate. Did it leave them no opportunity? We know about the legal fees and all of that, that the PIF could have spent them into bankruptcy and legal fees. But the escalated purses were something they couldn't afford to do. Sponsors couldn't hand up any more money. They were going to have to dip into their reserves. So now they were getting tournament purses that they couldn't pay on going forward. So not only did they have to go to the PIF to stop the legal fee battle, but they also had to go to the PIF because players wanted these escalated purses. They wanted to get paid more and there was no more money coming for the PGA tour from their coffers.
0: Well, needing to do it, I think, um, you know, there's uh, this greed factor that, um, that was presented to all these players and, and those who chose to go for that, you know, to jump ship to the live tour, you know, they did it for the money and for whatever reason. And and you know what, that's their prerogative. However, what the threat that it put onto the PGA tour, they needed to accelerate their money the way they did in order to put a plug in the dam before the dam burst. and, 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 and that, is what they needed to do. And as they started to respond, they they basically brought a knife to a gunfight. And once they found out that they couldn't sustain this money give to the the players, um, you know, the writing was on the wall. There was no possibility that they were going to um, win, even if they won in court. You know, the, the, the sponsors on the PGA Tour could not sustain that level. So the the, the writing was on the wall, and and that's when e- their decision is either we die here or we wave the white flag and we capitulate and form something that we could pr- possibly have control over, which is what they're trying to figure out now. And And, and, and also the thing is what a lot of people – uh, don't understand is that when they went into this framework agreement, and this is just like a, it's called, you know, a um, a memorandum of understanding. So it locks these two entities together to spend, usually it's about, you know, what it could be 60, 90 days. In this case, it's six months for them to figure it out. And this does not mean whatsoever this is going to be ha- happening because it does have to pass whatever the framework they do it has to pass the policy board and Tiger is going to be up there scrutinizing this thing with the rest of the players. And if it does pass the policy board, the biggest concern is now that Congress is sniffing around and inviting, uh, you know, uh, Ron Price and, and uh, Jimmy Dunn. And now they're summonsing, summonsing Yashir Al ramayin to Congress. The federal trade commission is going to take a look at this and, and there's going to be this, uh, this n- no monopoly uh desire and 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 that's one of the concerns i think where randall stevens the 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 board policy board member on the pga tour where he resigned he was the former ceo i think chairman of at&t like he probably very much remembers that time when time warner was trying to buy at&t and the federal trade commission did not allow it it, it, it they ordered that there had to be um, disbanded and, and just simply because they wouldn't allow a monopoly to happen. So these two hurdles, um, that have to pass, that's going to, you know, be the end of this year with the policy board, looking at what this, uh, new venture is going to be by the ownership of PIF and the PGA tour. And, uh, and, and it has to get ratified and, and then, and then we need to watch and find out what the federal trade commission is going to do because that's going to be very interesting.
4: So let's take that a step further. Let, let's let say it doesn't pass. Right? You know, they're not allowed to merge for whatever mm. reason. And we've, we've seen what's happened with right now. If if it does go through, right. And a lot of players are upset. Mm-hmm. Like, I should have taken the money because there wasn't going to be a path back and all this other stuff. Well, now it appears like that's, that's not true, but let's say, Hey, it doesn't go through. And now there's this, this partnership doesn't happen and live is going to be a completely separate entity and more money is out there for some of these players to go and you're gonna yeah i mean could this get really really ugly where it's, it's you've just good. got a huge separation and more players go to live and it just it just doesn't feel good
0: richard it doesn't feel good at all it is it's awful uh, uh, you know and i think there that that is a possibility um, you know, if if this thing hinges on the Federal Trade Com- Commission, then uh, you know, because right now the, the the way the political situation in Washington is with national security and, and, and with these foreign uh, governments, mainly China and Russia, buying up assets that are long term American uh, icons and land, um, you know, they're looking at this as a as a, uh, as a national security issue and, and, and who knows where that politics is going. And, and you know, we're in a very uh, sensitive state, but, you know, one of the things I must say is, is when you look at, you know, let, let's take a look at this past week, what's, what's uncovered. When I look at the PGA tour and I look, okay, here's, uh, we got Bryson DeChambeau shooting 58 and that's interesting. And, and uh, all that uh, and, and that stuff. And I watched it. I wanted to see what that was all about. But I also watched, uh, Lucas Glover in his situation, you know, in the past six months and, in, in, in uh, evolving. And when Lucas Glover won that tournament, I had tears in my eyes and, and, and I'm kind of looking at this and going, you know, my, my, um, you know, there, there isn't a live tournament that's going to make me cry, but the, the meaningfulness of the PGA tour, uh, you know, it, it, it's, 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 uh, it's in a, it's in a precarious position right now. And, and I'm hoping that, uh, it gets figured out and, and, uh, I'm not sure. I mean, this is what, um, what money does. And, uh, it, it uh, you know, we're all watching Randall Chambly do his thing with Eamon Lynch talk about, you know, their, their antics with their, and their fighting and, and, you know, so, Boy, this is a real uh, tenuous situation, and uh, we're going to just have to see how it's going to unfold.
4: Richard, one more before I let you go, and I want you to remind everybody about Mind Track golf and the things that you're doing now.
0: Yeah, well, Mind Track is a we're a unique mindset fitness um, uh, protocol that conditions and helps golfers, uh, you know, access the present moment, and and uh, you know, it's something that we're working on we're talking to a number of companies we're talking to some governing bodies like like any startup company it's it's taking a lot longer than I than I hoped it would Uh, but it's something that is so meaningful and and you know when you look at Brian Harmon talk about you know Mike Tirico asked him you know did were you able to not get ahead of myself in Brian Harmon winning the Open Championship says that it's exactly the thing that caused him to win he didn't actually think about winning. He didn't allow himself to think about what it meant until he got, got out of that bunker shot and on the green. And 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 these things, even the best players in the world, need to learn how to access that present moment. We're the protocol that teaches us. We're we're very unique, and uh, it's a it's something that you do on the golf course. And and I can't wait to expand the company and and really connect with uh, all the players who take this game very seriously.
4: So Richard, let our listeners know, how can they stay up to date with all the great things you're doing there at MindTrack and follow you, whether it's online or it's on social media?
0: Well, you can get on our website, MindTrackGolf.com. And as you mentioned, there's no C in it when you spell MindTrack. And there, we have some videos in there uh, that you can take a look at. And uh, and I'm also on Twitter at Richard Zokel.
4: Richard, I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your night to come back and be a part of the show again tonight. You're endlessly fascinating. I love your viewpoints and, the, and your stories. I hope we get the privilege of having you back on the show again soon.
0: Well, it's been a pleasure, Chris. It's always a pleasure speaking with you, uh, and thank you very much.
4: Richard, take care. All the best, you and your family. We'll catch up Will soon. Do. Thank you. See you, Richard. That is the great Richard Zokol And again, Mind track Golf and T-R-A-K is the spelling of track, so MindTrackGolf.com. At Richard Zokol, Z-O-K-O-L is the spelling of his last name. Give him a follow on, uh, Twitter, I guess. Is, is it X? Is it Twitter? What are we calling it now? But give him a follow there. And like I said, I, I love his, his insights and, and, uh, his stories. And hopefully we'll get a little more, uh, from him next time. Cause there's a lot more to get into with Mind Track and staying in the moment and not getting ahead of ourselves because that's one of the things I know I do, right? You're, you got a good round going. I've made four pars, five pars, six pars in a row. Oh, I could shoot this. or Oh, I could shoot that. And the next thing you know, we make double and triple, and, and we've blown it because we got ahead of ourselves. Richard's got a, a, a great thing going there at Mind Track Golf. Hopefully, we'll get that opportunity to get a little more into it the next time he joins. Us. Joining me next is going to be Michael Verska. Michael is an equipment expert, one of the best that we have in our game. Before I get to Michael, I want to remind you about two under men's performance wear. They're the unofficial underwear of the PGA and the 2020 Ryder Cup team. Ricky Fowler is their global ambassador, and over 50 other PGA, Corn Ferry, and Champions Tour players wear them. Just to mention a few, like David Toms, Jerry Kelly, Justin Thomas, William McGirt, Scott McCarron, and Chris Marco. The Joey Pouch technology provides the ultimate male asset management, delivering maximum comfort from the tee box, to the boardroom, to the bedroom. Use code NEXT20 to save 20% off your order at twounder.com. That's the number two, U-N-D-R dot com. Two Under, performance in your pants. And you walk a lot of miles in life and on the course, so make sure you're walking in the right shoes. SCONY changes the game with an affordable line of the most comfortable, versatile, slip-on golf shoes that can be worn anywhere. They're made with breathable microfiber fabric, spikeless treads, and an adjustable lace lock. And they're easy to clean too. So spend less time changing shoes and more time living in them. Visit sconey.com and use code NXT on T20. So next on T20 at checkout for 20% off. That's sconey.com, S K O N I dot com. They're also available at golf specialty retailers and green grass pro shops nationwide.
2: Relax. Easy now. Find your happy place.
3: It's all in the hips. Just tap
4: it in. Yes! Find the latest clubs and apparel at Golf's Happy Place, the PGA Tour Superstore. All right, now back in making a long overdue fourth visit with me here on Next on the Tea is equipment expert Michael Verska. Let me remind you a little bit about his background. He graduated from Purdue University with his Bachelor of Science degree in Mechanical Engineering. While he was in school, he worked for U.S. Steel from 1993 to 1999, and in June of 99, he went to work for Wilson as a project engineer and later as a principal engineer. 2002, he joined Adams Golf as a design engineer and later became their director of product development. He rejoined Wilson in October of 2011 as their global director of innovation and later spent time as their global director of golf R&D. He Is now a director of custom fitting and player performance at Callaway Golf, and I'm excited he is back with me again tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Michael, thanks for coming back on the show.
2: Hey, thanks for the introduction, Chris. It's been uh, way too long, but I do uh, certainly appreciate having you on, having me on again. It's uh, good to talk to you.
4: Absolutely, and and like I say, Michael, it um it has been a minute. Catch us up. What's been going on with you?
2: Uh yeah. So I think uh, I think it's been four or five years since you and I have talked, which is uh, maybe maybe less than that, but it feels like forever. So, yeah, I'm at, I'm at Callaway now and been there for actually a little over four years. Uh, I think you mentioned my title, director of custom fitting and player performance. So uh, I'm really focused on the big picture fitting uh, initiatives. You know how to how do we help players get in the better clubs and the better golf balls. Uh, and then doing some other cool stuff that's not really out yet, it's kind of longer term projects. But how else do we help players play better? Um, you know, looking at, uh, you know, things like data and nutrition and physical things and and, uh, you know, tying some things from the tour into that long term. So, yeah, some some really fun times. Callaway is, is a, obviously a great company to work for. We're doing some amazing things uh, with top, the top golf side and top tracer, um, you know, now fully in and uh, getting to work with that team some. So it's uh, it's been fun. So it, It's good times.
4: Michael, because it's been a little while and uh, I'm sure there's a lot of folks that weren't with us way back the last time you were as part of the show. I want to go back to how you got started in the game of golf, because as I recall, neither of your parents played golf. and You were a, a baseball and basketball player as a kid. I think it was your uncle that actually got you started. And, and he wasn't a big golfer either. Oh, by the way. And he played once and thought, hey, maybe Michael would like this. Is, is that is that how it came about?
2: yeah that really is uh, I had an uncle who uh, got invited to a work function when i say invited uh, if I remember the story correctly, he tried to get out of it, and they basically said no uh you're coming to this. you're coming to play golf with us, whether you like it or not uh and he really enjoyed it you know he was uh, as anybody would be who'd literally never you know swung a golf club he was terrible at it, but he really had a good time um and you know he came to me and uh, i I was pretty close to the uncle and, and still to this day uh you know uh, joy spending time with him and he said, Hey, I really think you might, you, you know, might like this game of golf. And, you know, I, I literally told him, I think that's dumb. The ball's just sitting there. You know, I was already, I was pretty young still, but, you know, I had a, it was a pretty good, at least in a, in a, in the small town of Chesterton, a pretty good baseball and basketball player. And, uh, you know, so I've, I've got enough on my plate, but he eventually talked me into it and we went and played golf. And, uh, I, I literally whiffed on the first shot. I hit the ground, uh, about a foot behind the ball. Uh, didn't know any better, so I, you know, I actually knocked the ball off the tee and teed it up, and then hit the most majestic shot in all of golf history that went directly over the flag, over the green, and over the road behind the green on this little course in Laporte, Indiana. That was uh, my first introduction to golf. We played nine holes that day, and uh, by the following spring, I had read every magazine and uh, a couple books, and, and you know, just loved it, and uh, it's been part of my life, thankfully. Um, since then.
4: The first tournament you actually sat down and watched was the 86 Masters, right?
2: Uh well, the Sunday of the 86 Masters, yeah. That was the first time I'd ever I mean, I you know, I'm sure flipping around, I'm a was a bit was and still I'm a big sports fan. I mean, is there a chance that there was a golf tournament on, you know, at some point in my life? I mean, there's certainly a chance, but I, I don't recommend it. I actually don't remember it. And certainly the first time I ever turned on the TV to watch golf, unquestionably. Uh, was the '86 Masters, and this was back when you know they only showed the back nine on on you know at least on on Sunday. So uh, yeah, I watched uh, the Nicholas charge, and uh, I mean I didn't, I had certainly heard of Jack Nicholas, but you know I didn't know that he hadn't been playing well in a few years, and it was a big deal. I, I just, I just remember the roars, I remember Vern colunquist yelling "Yes, sir!" And, and and feeling tingles down my spine, and um, and then played a ton of golf that summer. So I went from playing literally one nine-hole round in '85 to uh 86 i played you know legitimately two to four times a week um that whole summer so uh yeah uh, 86 masters is the first golf tournament i ever watched it's not a bad one uh,
4: yeah not a bad one to start with yeah (laughs) and you talk about when you started playing you actually played at a place i believe was called forest park golf course uh an older golf course dates back to 1927, a nine hauler originally that people can still go around now and pay less than $40. You actually paid only a couple of dollars to play, right?
2: Yeah. So it was, it was 18 holes by the time I started playing. I don't know when they added the second nine, but it was before 86. So yeah, they opened as a nine hole course, but it's 18 hole course. And I I know for a fact that I paid $3.50 to play 18 holes. And I know that because I didn't come from a whole lot and money was kind of tight. And I took $5, uh, from my, uh, from my paper out money and, uh, five bucks got me, uh, 18 holes. And then I had a dollar 50, which usually got me a hot dog. Um, uh, back then I would have drank a Pepsi. Uh, now it's only Coke zero, but back then it would have been a hot dog, a Pepsi, and either a Snickers bar or peanut M&Ms. And I literally thought I was, you know, uh, you know, the King of the world at that point in my life to to play eighteen holes and, you know, grab uh usually those three things at the turn. So it was uh it was a big deal.
4: And you got into building clubs, right? For yourself, for your buddies. Back yeah, in a time I, when fitting wasn't really even a thing yet.
2: Yeah. So I you know, just I was as as you mentioned, I'm a Purdue engineer. I was working at US Steel and uh, you know, really passionate, uh especially, you know, when my baseball days got playing over, really wanted to stay competitive at something. Not that I was a good golfer. I mean I was a single digit handicap and still am, but I was never a you know, never an aspiring pro or anything along those lines. Um, but yeah, I had found this was back when, you know, Golfsmith and, and Golfworks out of Ohio and, and some of those type companies, the component was, was, you know, not too small. It was actually fairly large. Um, and, and I got into it. I, I you know, I was, I'm a mechanical engineer, so I can figure this out. I can fix some things. I can build some things. I can design some things. I can certainly,
1: um,
2: you know, they were, those people were affectionately called stick and glue guys. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, I could I can figure this out. And I literally ordered some components and, uh, that I started reading, you know, some the early books on club fitting from guys like Tom, Sean and, um, and, and golf, uh, golf Smith had some books and I just read it. And, uh, I, you know, just basically for some friends and, you know, some friends of friends started, you know, quote unquote, fitting them. I look at it now and it's, you know, rudimentary is. Is beyond, because it was truly just static fitting. I, mean, we, we, I, had, I checked a lie board, but now, you know, knowing what I know about lie boards, um, but at the time, it, you know, it was the best anybody could do at the time. There were no launch monitors or anything like that. Certainly not for an individual. Uh, I'm not even sure major in- industries had them at that point. But yeah, I, I started building clubs and, you know, usually it's one of those things I'd, you know, charge 50, you know, 50 bucks over my cost. And then I'd spend 60 on more stuff. So I think every set I built, I lost more money on, but, <laughs> you know, it helped me buy a swing weight scale or it helped me buy this tool or that tool, or, you know, I bought a shaft or a head and test myself. So yeah, I did that for a couple of years. And then, uh, and then, you know, again, I was at us deal. And one of the great things, uh, about us deal was if you were young and halfway smart and, um i was both of those things at that time you know they kind of kept promoting you because they wanted to keep you it's a little bit of an aging workforce um and i got promoted into a job that i really didn't like all that much which is horrible to say um but i kind of took an inventory of my life like what do i want to do what do i want to be when i grow up i was in my you know kind of mid to late 20s and um was making okay money at the time especially for that area but i'm like i don't know if i can do this the rest of my life and I applied to uh, uh, literally every golf and baseball company on earth I could find. And uh, I got uh, three interviews, uh, interestingly, uh, one with Wilson Golf, one with Callaway Golf, one with Cleveland Golf. Um, and, you know, don't need to go into too much here, but uh, took the Wilson job and that got me in the industry. And that was um, that was late June of 1999. So I've uh, passed 24 years in the in the golf industry now.
4: You mentioned Lieboard. And it didn't seem like you were all thrilled about what a lie board is or utilizing lie boards. Help me understand is, is that, a, is that the best way to, for us to figure out what the lie angle needs to be or, or in your opinion is, do we need to be looking somewhere else to figure out what yeah, the best m- position is?
2: Yeah. My opinion, lie boards are, are definitely not the right way to go for a number of reasons. Um, you know, one, the balls are, you know, hopefully we're if any kind of decent shot we should be fitting off of the golf ball's already gone. Um, when the when your club head hits the ground, you know, you're hitting the little ball, the little white golf ball first before you hit the big green ball. Um, the other thing we find is that people can tend to make swings that aren't their natural swings on live boards. They're really overemphasizing making sure they get a strike. Uh, so, you know, what I really recommend is, you know, we want people to fit lie angle off of ball flight. Um, you know, if you, if you're starting the ball left or having a little hook, you know, on irons, we're going to bend a little flatter. Um, if if you're if if you're uh, you know slicing or hitting pushes, we're going to go a little more upright. Uh, you know, the only time we really want to look at ground interaction is one of two things. One, if if the player just hates the feel of the of the iron going through the turf, uh, or if it digs in an unusual way. So you know, if you if you're an extremely flat or extremely upright, uh, you know, we don't want that toe digging so much that you know it, it affects the swing in in a mental you know in a mental way. And the ball should be gone, but. Yeah, we want to fit lie angle off of ball flight in all but the most extreme cases. Um, And the other thing we have now is, you know, launch monitors, uh, you know, foresight uh, is specifically, but other ones get some really good head data and can provide uh, some really good information on lie as well. So, uh, again, 19, uh, you know, 1990s lie board with what we knew uh, was was fine. But what we know now, again, we really want to fit off ball flight uh, whenever possible.
4: When I talk to a lot of the guys uh, out on the Champions Tour, they talk about how back in the day, right, before there were launch monitors and track man and all that sort of stuff. The way they had to figure things out is they had to dig it out of the dirt. It sounds like a, a little bit about what you're doing is going back to old school, seeing instead of looking at all the numbers and all the data, what's the ball doing when it leaves the face of the club? Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, I would say it's
2: a combination of old school and new school, right? It is that we want to see what the ball's doing, but now we want to measure it as well, right? We can look at spin axis. We can look at start lines. Um, you know, so we, we do want to do that. You know, it, it, we want to ask that player, you know, where do you think you're starting the golf ball and where do you want to start the golf ball? Those can sometimes be uh, different things. And we're going to do, you know, we'll work off that, but in in a very rudimentary sense, it, it's, it is going backwards, but with modern technology. So, uh, but yeah, it is, we want to work off ball flight. But again, when I say ball flight, not just the ball flight, but we have great ways and inexpensive ways, uh, to get really good ball flight data as well. So again, we're going to look at start line. We're going to look at spin, uh, side spin or spin tilt access, depending on, you know, the, the, the system you're using to help us understand specifically for lie angle. But, you know, we, we use that for loft as well, right? We're going to look at spin rates. We're going to look at launch angle. Uh, but yeah, but uh, in, in one way, it is a step back, but uh, but again, a step back with, uh, with, with an app tied to it.
4: Michael, I have to imagine you've seen a tremendous evolution in golf over your time in the game. From the time you were with Wilson to now with Callaway, the clubs, the shafts, the golf balls have all changed so much. Kind of walk us through what you've seen over the course of your career.
2: Yeah, I've been really blessed, and I mean that just from – and also just kind of random time. But, you know, when I got in the industry, it was really a switchover. I got in the industry um, when was really kind of that – I was the first generation of real engineers to come in the industry. Before that, it was mainly – and I don't mean this in a negative way, but most of the club designers were were golf professionals who didn't quite make it, really good players they had an eye for equipment, they could explain themselves, they could listen to others and hear what they wanted. Um, and, and then, you know, translate that to, hey, we're going to change the toe shape here. You know, it was a lot of grinding, literally taking what was then called a, a blank, um, a, a forging blank and and grinding the club into shape. And then people like me came along with CAD skills and and the ability to, do digital drafting and, and, and then 3D CAD very shortly thereafter. And it really did change the industry. And it wasn't just me. There was lots of people like me who kind of came in from that, you know, kind of mid 90s uh, through, you know, really in the early 2000s, that kind of seven, eight year span really changed the industry. Um, and now, you know, it's all CAD. And not only that, but now we have uh, artificial intelligence tools and ways to collect data that was, was literally unimaginable in 99 when I joined the industry. So, you know, the ability, you know, we're really getting out of, well, I like the shape of this and I like the shape of that. We have great tools where we can, um, you know, get data. We can, we can pull hundreds of people. We can get players out to our test center, um, and ask them very specific questions about different things. And then again, see, you know, how, see how they're delivering the club, how they, you know, how, how the how the ball flight goes at, at different settings, if you will. Um and different prototypes. So it, you know, in my 24 years, again, I came in a really interesting time. And now that that technology is just booming, you know, AI, um, you know, especially at Callaway and some of the great things that we've done with products. We you know we've advertised that. Now other companies are starting to dip their toe in AI a little as well. But um, you know, you you hear about AI in all industries, and I'm just grateful to be a, a you know at a company that's a leader in that space and get to work with. Uh, some amazing people that can help me use that in fitting. Um, you know, I, I, I like to be a data guy. Um, but, you know, data analytics and, and those type of things is a special skill and special training, um, to be able to utilize and analyze, uh, you know, data sets of thousands of millions of shots. And it's, it's great that we have
4: that type of tool. Okay. So you mentioned AI and now, now some of my listeners be like, you got to be kidding me. AI is coming into my golf game now. So. How are you guys utilizing AI to make things better?
2: So, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, it's really in the club design and, you know, getting into other aspects of golf. But, you know, we can we can analyze things digitally um, in in hundreds and thousands of iterations through artificial intelligence. And and it can design things that humans couldn't design from um, from thicknesses, from materials, uh, from how clubs react from launch and spin, depending, depending on where it hit on the face. Uh, and really, you know, again, going back old school, we would certainly test the club and we might get 40, 50, even 100 people to hit shots. But now we can digitally hit shots, if you will, um, through, you know, algorithms of ball flight and testing different golf balls and different club deliveries. You know, we can literally simulate outside to in shots, inside to out shots, uh, inside to out path swing, shots off the toe, shots off the heel. Uh, and we can find out what we expect that ball uh, and that club head to do for those interactions, interactions, and we can run through those simulations tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of times, and then tell the the supercomputer through artificial intelligence, you know, minimize weight on this, or make the spin the most consistent across the face. Um, you know, we want to, to to maximize ball speed in this area because we this type this player type might miss it you know, more center toe compared to more center heel. But we can do all those things simultaneously. So we can solve for multiple problems at once, which, again, the human mind, uh, you know, we struggle with. Um, so, you it, know, it, it really is amazing to have this team. Um, and, you know, anyone can buy a supercomputer, but the key is to be able to ask the right questions, analyze the data in the right way, and then ask that supercomputer very specific questions and, and have them solve it. Now, that's simplifi- simplifying it a little bit, Um, But that really the way it works, it's just it's a series of of iterations and simulations where we can hone in and make tiny changes to really maximize the performance of every aspect of a golf product. And that's, you know, we've been doing it on clubs and that will get into golf balls and that will get into fitting and that will get in lots of other aspects of the game as, as time marches on.
4: So, Michael, with all of the advancements. The big topic, right, is around this model local rule and rolling the golf ball back and Jay Monan saying the PGA Tour is not going to do that. We'll see where that ends up because we know that USGA, the RNA, and oh, by the way, Augusta National and Fred Ridley said they supported that. So if that's not the way we end up going, and I can't imagine that someone like your company at Callaway or any of the big manufacturers would have supported a rollback of the golf ball because I got to imagine it's millions of dollars to retool manufacturing plants that are making millions upon millions of golf balls every year. So I would think if we're going to go one way or another, it's either all going to fall back on the golf course setup, possibly, and that's what we were talking about with Richard Zuckel in the in the last segment, or some folks have talked about retooling the clubs. I mean, where do you think this thing ends up?
2: Yeah, that's a really good question. Obviously, the USGA has a hard job. I mean, I don't want to take any official stances uh on the model local rule. I mean, there's lots of people putting input. Um, but you know, the, the USGA's job is, at least their self-professed job, is to is to govern the game of golf. And it's a really interesting time right now, right? Because some professionals are saying, well, hey, we we've we have, you know, we want to have some authority in how we define the rules as well. So um, you know, I think eventually it will all get sorted out. You know, there's been other rules, controversies with grooves and CT and, you know, so then COR and now CT and, and head size. I mean, some people might remember that, you know, there were some 500 and 600 CC drivers. Um, and, you know, the rule got set at 460. So, uh, you know, it's a complicated question, um, you know, with, with golf courses, with water management, um, with with uh, professional players and manufacturers. Again, there, there certainly is complex and uh, but I will say this, you know, I don't think there's too many, uh, average golfers who hit the ball too far, who complain like, boy, I didn't have any fun today because the ball went way too far for me. Uh, so, you know, I, I really want it to work out best for all. I'm not sure exactly what that means. Again, it's a complicated problem, but golf is booming right now. That's great to see. We're, we're getting a, a more diverse, um, from age and, and ethnicity and literally across the spectrum of, of getting more um players in the game. And that's what I love to see, right? We're we're getting people and families. Uh, you know, COVID certainly wasn't a good thing in any way, but it did bring people to golf. It was a way to be outside and a way to spend time as a family. Uh, and a lot of that is, is continuing on. So you know the most important thing is to me is that golf continues to grow. We continue to welcome new people and you know the, the equipment stuff will get sorted out as as time goes on. Uh, there's lots of, of really smart people who will, will take care of that and we'll all adjust, uh, whatever those rules are. Uh, you know, we always want to make conforming golf clubs and conforming golf balls. And we want uh, the best players in the world to use our product. And uh, we're very proud of people like John Rahm and Xander Shoffley who represent the brand, um, Sam Burns and and, and um Roseang and on and on and on. And you know, We will always make sure that we have the best product for whatever the rules are for them. So uh, we'll just keep plugging along and uh, that'll sort itself out over time.
4: Michael, two uh, quick ones before I let you go. And I saw a tweet from. Earlier this year, a picture of you at a hole-in-one back uh, in March. Tell us about your hole-in-one.
2: It finally happened. Uh, yeah, after uh, good gracious, so many years in the game to, to finally, and I've, I've had some really, really close calls. Uh, you know, some at some average courses, uh, you know, one at Spyglass uh, that I'll, I'll never forget, but didn't quite go down. Uh, this was played a friend of mine, Zach Zortman, who's, uh, who's on Twitter, and he actually flew out to get fit at Callaway and uh, we played uh, Goat Hill Park, which is just one of the great, uh, really great golf social experiments in a positive way. So welcoming and uh, happened to get on the ninth hole and uh, threw, a, threw, uh, threw a Chrome Soft XLS on the ground and knocked a sand wedge uh, about 114 in the air and spun it right back in the jar like it was supposed to. And finally, finally had my hole in one. It was, uh, I'm, I, I'm not on camera right now, but I, I have a stupid grin on my face. <laughs> right now just thinking about it. I, every time i every time it gets brought up i i just get giddy it's um you know it, it's the only time we're perfect in life right i mean we try real hard but golf is hard and life is hard but every once in a while even you know random guys like me can make a perfect swing and uh, that was one of them so uh just just a just a great day that uh, i i will never forget
4: i saw a congratulatory tweet from Shane LeBaron, Shane was on the show a couple of weeks ago. Have you worked on your game with Shane?
2: Yeah, I've known Shane. uh, Shane and I met, good gracious, uh, probably close to 20 years, 15, 18 years ago now. Um, I don't take lessons officially from Shane, uh, but every time I have a swing problem, Shane is the first and only person I call. I cannot recommend his ability to simplify the golf swing and make it understandable and really get to the root cause. You know, again, I'm just such a fan of his. He doesn't quite get the accolades he deserves, but, um, you know, he's director of instruction at Cherry Hills, which is, you know, unquestionably a top 100 course USAM starting there next week. Um, you know, he's worked with David Duvall. He's worked with lots of other pros. He works with a bunch of college players. So Shane is a dear friend. Um, and also happens to be in my mind, a golf swing genius. So yeah, I, I, uh, I know Shane very well. Um, if if he lived closer, I might abuse that friendship and work with him too much. So it, it's probably <laughs> good that he lives a little far away.
4: Yeah, I'm a huge Shane LeBaron fan as well. He's a great guy.
2: Anybody My- who meets Shane is a huge Shane LeBaron fan, and they and they should be.
4: Michael, before I let you go, remind our listeners, how can we stay up to date with all the great things you're doing there, whether it's following you online or it's on social media?
2: yeah i'm uh, i'm at v golf man the letter v g o l f m a n i'm on twitter uh often try to be on there every day and you know, sometimes the day job uh gets in the way but uh i do a monday golf poll every monday i do uh random golf thoughts on friday and mix some other stuff in between uh, i'm also on um on instagram at v i don't post much but i do certainly comment about golf stuff on there as well but twitter's the best way and uh i love having conversations on there i've made some real life friends uh and and in it's been great. So uh, I know some people are a little negative about Twitter sometimes, but I think it's a good place. Uh, You can meet people, you can uh, share information. So that's the best way to find me.
4: Well, Michael, I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your busy schedule to come back and be a part of the show. Again, way too much time had passed. So my apologies on that. I hope I get the privilege of catching up with you much, much sooner this next time around.
2: Yeah, for sure. Thanks, Chris. uh, It's always great to talk to you. and uh, We'll we'll make sure it's not too many years before I do this again. Appreciate it.
4: Ah, Thank you, Michael. Take care, my friend. All the best to you and your family. We'll catch up soon. Bye. See you, Michael. That is the great Michael Verska, folks, and uh, uh, just an equipment genius. That guy knows a ton about the golf swing and the golf equipment. Verska, his last name is spelled V-R-S-K-A. So Michael Verska is, uh, is where you'll find him and at VGolfman, both on Twitter and on Instagram. Like I say, it was a, a number of years since the last time I got to have Michael as part of the show. I'll make sure it's not that many years going forward. Hopefully we get to have him on before the end of this year and see what's, uh, what's ahead at, at Callaway Golf. Okay, coming up next is one of the most positive, energetic and upbeat guys who just happens to be one of the best hockey analysts in a game and a big golf enthusiast, and that is Darren Pang. Before I get to Panger, power and precision. Adele Golf's SMS and SMS Pro irons offer the ultimate in iron adjustability. Featuring the revolutionary swing match weighting technology, precisely dial in each iron to your swing by moving the heaviest weight to its optimal position for maximum performance. Learn more about them by going to adelegolf.com. And folks, do you sway and you're off balance in your golf swing? You know what? It could be your shoes. A golf shoe needs structure to provide stability and reduce sway. How can you tell if your shoes lack structure and are hurting your game? If you can hold your shoes by the toe and heel and twist it, toss it. Squares was designed for the perfect balance of structure and comfort. Isn't it time you tried Squares? Try the new Speedbolt at Squares.com. That's S-Q-A-I-R-Z. Dot com. Looking for the ultimate Myrtle Beach golf experience? Well, it's only a click away. Check out the two-play special at two of America's most awarded public golf courses, Caledonia Golf and Fish Club and True Blue Golf Club. They are low-country masterpieces featuring two iconic Mike Strantz designs. Play these two incredible courses for one great price. Visit caledoniagolfandfishclub.com to learn more about the two-play special. And book your tee time today. Again, that's CaledoniaGolfAndFishClub.com. Okay, now back and next on the tee with me is former Chicago Blackhawks goalie and a new member of the Blackhawks broadcast team for next season, Darren Pang. Let me remind you about Pangers' background. He grew up in Nepion, Ontario. He played youth hockey for the Nepion Raiders alongside Red Wings Hall of Famer Steve Iserman and a guy who is a great friend of this show, Dan Quinn. Darren was the first goalie drafted by the expansion Belleville Bulls of the Ontario Hockey League. In 1984, he helped the Ottawa 67s win the OHL's Memorial Cup, and he was named top goalie and to the All-Star team. He was signed as a free agent by the Blackhawks later that season, got called up and played one game with Chicago in 1984, but he was there full-time starting in 1987, got his first win that year in October against the Winnipeg Jets. He set the Blackhawk record for six assists in a game by a goalie that season, and he played in the league until 1990. For the last several years, Darren was a member of the broadcast team for the St. Louis Blues, along with doing a number of games for the NHL Network and Sportsnet. He will forever live in my heart for the great job he has done during the Winter Olympics. And again, this coming season, he'll be back in Chicago doing the Blackhawk games. And I am honored he is with me again tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Panger, how are you? Thanks for coming back
1: on the show. You know, I'm doing fantastic. In fact, uh, just listening to uh, all the information from uh, from at V Golf, man, and uh, you know me, I love my golf, so I love my Mira clubs, and I love to listen to whatever anybody else has information wise. And uh, although hockey is my passion, um, I think I work in hockey to pay for golf to be quite honest with you I love it that much so that might be the best way for me to describe it and it, and it's funny you mentioned Danny Quinn who's a longtime friend of mine we got gosh we were six years old when we first started playing hockey together and when we were about 12 13 and then we were about 17 18 Danny kept saying to me "Why, why are you playing tennis and squash and racquetball you got to play golf and you know growing up we just I didn't didn't play golf and now Every time Quinn and I talk to each other, he goes, see, I told you, I told you you'd love golf. And uh, so anyway, thanks for having me on the show. I appreciate it. And also I appreciate you sending those very nice kind-hearted uh, tweets as you always do every weekend. You had a lot of great people and uh, you're a really nice man that, uh, that brings a lot of people together. So I appreciate that.
4: I appreciate that very much, Darren. So you mentioned Mira golf and you're a Mura golf mm-hmm. brand ambassador. We talked a little bit about this last time, but for those, who weren't a part of that show. Remind us what's in your bag.
1: Right now, I've got the CB302s, actually. Um, just got them. My, my, uh, my good friend, Bill Holawati, um, um who was originally a Vancouver native, is the COO of, uh, of Mira and a, and a dear friend of mine. It's been over 16 years that I've been with Mira. Um, out of a, a chance meeting at a golf tournament in Vancouver uh, with my good friend, Grant Fear, the Hall of Fame goaltender, and I ran into Bill, and I, I said, "Are those mirrors the famous mirror clubs?" And he said, "They sure are." And I said, "Can I try one?" And so he said, "I'll send you a six iron with a couple of different shafts in them." And I have about maybe eight different models of the mirrors. So right now, I'm I'm blending the C, the new CBU 302s, which are beautiful, uh, but I'm combining them with the with the the wedge nine and eight of the of the MC 501s. A little bit smaller and uh and I, I'm finding that to be a really nice combination right now. And I always use the Acra uh shafts. Um and a shout out to my boys in Kingston, Ontario, knowing that you you read the bio, but I'm a Ottawa native, which is very close to Kingston, and Kingston, uh, Ontario has produced those acra irons and I've I've loved them to death. And uh those guys are phenomenal guys, they do a great job. So I got the I-85s and I've got the Tour Z five uh Proto uh, driver uh, shaft with the 65 grams in it right now. So I'm giving that a go and it's been terrific so far. Great combination.
4: Mira golf did a video with Adam Scott. I don't know if you saw where he visited. Yes, I did. He went down there to the manufacturing plant. And what captured my attention is how meticulous they are and how they build these things handmade kind of one at a time, if you will, in order to get them just right. I mean, it's amazing what they go through and how, well handcrafted their golf clubs are
1: i tell you what i i couldn't agree with you more i actually have seen many hockey players you know go through the grinding of their sticks their blades the the lie um the curve um the 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 flex actually in hockey and then i i watched that and i i asked my my friend bill hollowady i said i said billy if ever you need me to go to japan and do that. I'm all in. (laughs) Um, I was so pumped up. I mean, there, there's Adam Scott. I mean, it's not exactly the most, you know, I mean, he's not going to the four seasons there in, in Japan. You saw it. I mean, you know, this is old school, grinded out, industrial hard work and hand forged. Uh, the clubs are all from, from Japan They're hand forged from Japan. And so I, I really, every time there's something out there, Chris, I watch every single one of them, and I sweat because they're—they all seem to be really hot and sweaty while they're doing <laughs> that. And I—I I watch Adam Scott just look and stare at these irons, and I'm like, that is so great. I get so pumped up watching stuff like that, and the information that we can now get on whether it's at YouTube, on Mirror, or just social media for any clubs. I'm—I'm I'm not just pumping, it, you know, Mirror. They're my friends, and and and. But everybody, they do such a great job of giving us information as to what might work for us and mirror works for me it has for 16 years but to see adam scott go in there and grind it out i thought that was fantastic yeah i agree
4: penga you're a, a member right at Preswick village golf club up in mm-hmm. up in michigan it's one of the top clubs in the country i you go back to a few years ago they had the, the 10th michigan open at yep. the club talk about your golf
1: club it's it's a wonderful golf club in a very small hidden gem of an area in Highland, Michigan, and I'm very fortunate because I've got a little place on Duck Lake, which uh, there's a million lakes in Michigan. There could be a Harvey Lake, a White Lake, a Duck Lake, you know, uh, Upper Straits, Lower Straits. There's a there's a load of them, and there's some great golf courses, obviously, but um, this club is really neat because I got a couple of well, one former NHLer, Joe Koser, a real tough guy that played for the detroit red wings he's a member there and a number of guys that i went to scotland and ireland and up in uh northern michigan uh with on trips and and it is uh world class greens always running 11 and a half to 12 and a half on the stump large greens easily three puttable uh very fair but firm good golf course um but i get out you know what michigan is so great i get out to a good friend of mine's a member at bloomfield hills country club in oakland hills and And I've played so many other courses there and they're just, it's just a, honestly, if I could use a broadcasting term, which I'm not this smart to use this word, but I'll say a plethora of great golf courses (laughs) in the Michigan area, Crystal Downs and Arcadia Bluffs are, are, are two of my favorites when I go up North, uh, to Northern Michigan. So if you've never been there, please give yourself an opportunity to go up to Michigan at some point, play any course out there. You're not going to be disappointed.
4: When I look at the video flyovers of Presswick and looking at each of the holes, you got a lot of sand out there. And then the the three finishing holes
1: look pretty darn challenging.
4: Yeah. What's it like when, when you've got a good round going, knowing that 16, 17 and 18 are still to go, they look pretty intimidating.
1: That's a, it's a great call because once you, once you finish number 12, uh, you go to the back and most guests that I bring out, they go, Whoa, this feels like Northern Michigan. Because it goes, you know, it goes from a little bit more not open, but um, less um, less tree lined, and then you hit this spot on thirteen, and it's a tight tree line uh, hole, not very long, but big bunkers on the right, OB on the left, and then you turn around, and most of the big hitters can try to drive the green on on fourteen, and and but if they hit it awry, I never, I'm not a long hitter, so I just hit what I normally hit and uh, try to hit a wedge in tight, Uh, and then you hit 15, tree-lined again, long par 5, but for the big boys, they can hit it. What you're talking about, Chris, which which I love about Prestwick Village, is 16, a beautiful golf hole, water on the left, trees on the right, uphill, and then you've got 17, a signature par 3, you know, uh, placed from 205, for us we're probably played from 168 to 205 and it's downhill bunkering on the right a terrific par 3 and then the 18th hole is a really good finishing hole that you know water on the right bunkers on the left uphill and uh, for a guy like me if i if we're playing the blues you know i might have honestly i might have 170 to 190 in if I'm playing the golds, I'm probably at 210, 220 in uh, on, a, on a real tight green. And uh, I, I just think it's a, a really good final three holes. And again, I think the, the, the compliment would be that the greens are excellent. I mean, I, I get a kick out of it because when I come from St. Louis, that I'm there in the winter normally, now I'm going to be in Chicago a lot. But I, I get to the guys in Michigan and I say, boy, these greens are running great. And I think they're about an 11. And they're, they're sour that they're 11. They want them at 13. So I'm like, oh, man, <laughs> you have no idea how great you have it here. So it's uh, easily free puttable um, super greens, great, uh, obviously, uh, great, uh, uh, every, like everybody that runs the golf course, they, they they take a great deal of pride in saying this is our golf course. If a, if a guest is going to come here, we want to make sure that they're going to three-putt a few times. It's going to be fair, but it's going to be tough for them.
4: And I hear the, the practice range there is spectacular. I mean, it's a top 50 range. According to PGA magazine, you got a huge short game area, a nine hole putting course there. It's got to be a great place to get your game in shape.
1: Well, you're right about that. It's, uh, I think it's the second largest in all of Michigan, which says a lot, but it's 25 acres. Like you can sit there. Like last year, I was getting ready to go to Ireland and Scotland. We got a great group of guys, uh, led by. Former uh, Red Wing GM Ken Holland, who's now with the with the uh, Edmonton Oilers, and and he's just a, a genius leader in getting us on these trips. And but I'm, I remember thinking to myself, okay, we're going to play Royal County Down and Royal Poor Rush, and we're going to go over to Troon, and we're going to go up to Royal Dornoch, and the winds are going to change. So let's just hit balls into the wind. So twenty five acres bays surround it in a horseshoe, and and you can just find whatever winds you want to find. And then there's chipping areas all like in one, two, four quadrants. And then there's a big chipping area and then there's a putting area and then you hit the first tee. So, yeah, I think that's, that's kind of a, uh, I mean, it's a huge plus for guys that want to grind it a little bit. Get in the dirt. I think Ben Hogan would have really liked that. I mean, he, that's 25 acres. Imagine Ben Hogan digging the dirt in there. Right. He'd be there all day long. And especially when the sun doesn't go down till nine forty five PM. So, There's a lot of benefits to Michigan golf.
4: So you just rattled off some of the greatest courses in our game over there in Ireland and Scotland. So now you got to tell us, what was that like?
1: Phenomenal. I've, I've probably played Royal County down. I don't know. I I might've played it maybe 15 to 20 times and, and Port rush the same thing. So we, our trips are, are, are well done. Um, we've also played great courses like Port Stewart and, uh, uh, um, we've also played uh Trey Lee and Bally Bunyan. Um, but the ones that, that our group likes to play are the championship courses. So when we jump down to, you know, we take the ferry over to back to Scotland and we play, uh, we play, you know, we play Turnberry. Uh, we might go up and play Carnoustie and maybe the old course and Muirfield. Uh, but this particular trip last year, late August, we, we went up to Royal Doorknock. I've never been there. It's one of the few courses I haven't played. And now I understand the influence of Donald Ross. Now I understand um, how he is such a genius um, with every facet of a putting green. And I feel like, because I'm not a long hitter, I feel like I pride myself on on my short game, chipping, putting, being creative. And I've got to tell you, I went to Royal Doorknock and I was just in love with it. And I I made some bad shots. I made some good shots. I made some frustrating shots. and And it was like, wow, this is Donald Ross at his best. If you've never been to Royal Doorknock uh, in the Inverness area in Northern Scotland, you've got to get there because it is spectacular. Absolutely spectacular.
4: So you mentioned St. Andrews amongst all of that. So I want to live Mm -hmm. vicariously through you for a minute. What's Mm -hmm. it like the first time you stand on the first tee at St. Andrews?
1: Well, honestly, I thought it was a Parkland golf course. Uh, Um, I, w- I was with uh, a, a number of friends, including uh, I hate to. Uh, my buddies always say I have this saying. I hate to name drop because Robert De Niro told me never to do that. But I was <laughs> I was with I was with, uh, I was with a couple of greats, Alan Trammell, the great uh, uh, baseball player for the for the Tigers. The first time I played it, and Steve Eiserman and a fellow named Bob Moran. And we Bob Moran sat in line at five in the morning to get us out there, and we got out there. And I remember standing on the first seat the first time. That was nineteen ninety seven. And I went like, wh- what's this all about? I hit a fade or you can aim to the left and hit it wherever. And and then you get there to your second shot and there's that little creek and you go, oh boy, tight turf. Uh, don't dunk it in the water. You know, and then, and then the, so the first time I played, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know where to go. I couldn't see the golf course. And the second time I played, I, I saw it a little bit better. And then I, I played it probably four or five times since then. And it was, wasn't until, this is just me, but it wasn't until the maybe the fourth time that I played the old course that I went, oh, wow, that's where you got to hit it. That's where you got to hit it. And, and then I had a great appreciation for what the old course was all about. I think it's fascinating. And for those naysayers that are out there that have only played it once, please go play it a few more times if you can, because I think you'd have a great appreciation for the left side of the course. And uh, and just the nuances of it, and especially coming in on, you know, 16, 17 and 18 and seeing the fans, I'll say the patrons they they're taking pictures. There's a photographer there that'll give you pictures. It's like it's something that's out of this world. So um, I had a I, I think it was Alan Trammell that hits a big cut. And I remember him hitting a big cut. And I think it went into the Rustics Hotel, bounced, came back, hit the hotel, might hit the top of a Toyota like a van <laughs> and came back in play and he was in the fairway and he had about wow. like, a 70 yard shot coming in. I'm like, that is golf right there. So <laughs> I, I it was really fascinating and really enjoyable to, to play the old course for sure.
4: So closer to home as all the years that you were in St. Louis with the blues and, and obviously now going back to Chicago where you played, there's gotta be some, I'm guessing on the off days, you played some pretty good courses in and around St. Louis and up in the Chicagoland area. What are some of your favorites over there?
1: Well, for sure in Missouri. I, I'm a member still at uh, Meadowbrook Country Club in Baldwin, and it is a fantastic golf course. Uh, you know, just a really good, like, Georgia fairways, great green, small. Uh, You've got to hit your targets. So I, I, I love there, but, but I'm not afraid to say that Belle Reeve is just a masterful piece of land uh boone valley that's owned by the taylor family that own uh enterprise uh built that and it is it it's it's really it's a little bit further out but there's nothing around it and that is spectacular but you got st louis country club and old cb mcdonald seth rayner sitting right there you've got old warson that hosted i think the 71 you might need to correct me on this i think it was the 71 Ryder cup right there so great golf courses there and and in chicago I was a member for years at Aurora Country Club. Uh, you know, Tom Bendelow designed a lot of courses around here, along with uh, Donald Ross. and, and uh, But the, my most favorite, for sure, if I could die, Chris, and go to heaven tomorrow and someone said, you could play one last course for the rest of your life, I'd say Chicago Golf Club. Stephen McDonald, right? Seth Rayner. In Wheaton, Illinois, I lived alongside it. No one lives on the course. There's no homes on it. Uh, but, uh, a former neighbor of mine was a, a a president, uh, Steve Wilkinson, and he would drive by and he'd say seven o'clock tomorrow, Darren. And I'd say, I'll change all plans seven o'clock tomorrow. Like, I just love that golf course. Chicago golf club to me is just a, it's like you're passing through in time and it's a wonderful court golf course. My favorite.
4: Golf is a big thing in your family. As well, as I recall from our last conversation, your son, Tyler is a golf yeah. pro. He's worked at a couple of different courses over the years. How's he doing?
1: That's really, you know, what my son Tyler is a tremendous young man. That actually just gave up the golf business. Um, he uh, he's got three little girls under the age of three, and they're actually going to come to Michigan and come see us at the lake in in, in a week and a half or so. And uh, he just was, I think, he was just getting a little frustrated with how little time he got spent in the summertime. So. He's able to play golf now, and I'm really proud to say that he's a school teacher. Ah, and he and his wife are in him. Middlesex, New Jersey. Yeah, and they and he's just turned it around. And he says, "You know what? I'm going to have my summers with my kids. I'm going to be able to play some golf and uh, and come visit me and maybe play in some So I'm very proud of him. He's uh, he's done a great job, and he's a great dad, which I'm even more proud of than anything else. Absolutely.
4: And your nephew Jake Bryson is another very good player in the family. He's played in the U.S. Junior Amateur Championship. How's he doing?
1: Yeah, he Jake's doing great. He turned pro, went to Utah Valley, uh, played four years there on a scholarship. Um, played D one, you know, so played D one golf. Had some great experiences there. I actually had him in St. Louis last summer, and he he did some caddying at at uh, Reve in Meadowbrook, and and uh, turned pro. Uh, been he's been grinding it out, played in a a Canadian, um, I guess you would call it a, it was a Canadian tour event in Ottawa at Dunrobin at Eagle Creek. He did not make the cut, but it was his home course. He's played that course a thousand times. I think there was a lot of pressure on Jake. He's a wonderful kid. Hits the ball a mile. He's a left-hander. Typical Chris of Canadians. A lot of Canadians followed Mike Weir, I think, and are (laughs) left-handed golfers. And he just, he pounds it straight. He's a good kid. He treats people well. And I think he's going to do real well in this business.
4: Penger, just a couple more before I let you go. And we've sort of danced around the fact that you're on your way back to Chicago to be the broadcast analyst for the Blackhawks next season. But I have to imagine the decision to leave St. Louis and to leave the Blues organization had to come with a lot of anxieties. You were there as a part of their only Stanley Cup championship. You became a big part of that community. How'd you go about making that decision? Really had to be something tugging at your heartstrings.
1: Yeah, well, I'm right now, in, I, I, I'm in Chicago. I flew here this morning for the funeral service of Rocky Works, the great owner of the Chicago Blackhawks. And uh, um, yes, you're right. Anxiety filled is the, the right way to describe it. It's a hard decision. I think for anybody out there that have had to make hard decisions, there's, there's a there's a burden, a, there's a weight, there's anxiety that, that fills you. And. The people of St. Louis were phenomenal to me and my family, and um, I went there as a broadcaster that never played for the Blues, and, and for anybody that's broadcast team sports, you know, that's a very, it's a challenging thing, but you know what? I love the people of St. Louis, and and it was a love affair for 14 years, so to go through it, uh, there's some financial things that you've, you've probably heard about with a, a lot of regional networks, and Valley sports in, in in Midwest or Valley sports overall are they're going through some challenging times. The Chicago Blackhawks came in Rocky Wirtz called me Danny wirtz's son that i I used to teach at a at a uh hockey rink when he was twelve thirteen, and fourteen. He was a goalie, and I went out there uh because of a call from Rocky. They both called me and asked if I'd come back to chicago and so what a return it is for me now, I got to tell you chris it's you know, to see some old teammates and to to come back here—the only team I ever played for in the NHL—I um, I liked a kid, and I th- I think Wayne Gretzky said it best. He said nobody got more out of 27 career wins than you did, because that's all I won in the <laughs> NHL. I didn't play that long, but um, but to come back to Chicago and and to you know to be a broadcaster here, and at a time when Rocky Wirtz just passed away, and it's a challenging time without a great leader like that, but to see Connor Bedard, the first overall pick and, you know, knowing that uh, Jonathan Taves or, or Patrick Kane, the guys that led them to the three Stanley cups, um, that's over with now. And now it's a new regime and I'm part of that kind of a new part of it. So I'm very excited about being back here in Chicago and, and being part of the broadcast. So uh, thanks for asking that because it always means a lot to me because the people in St. Louis mean a lot to me and they know that. So, but I'm looking forward to the next page and, and this is it. This might be the last page. Who the heck knows? But uh if it is, it's where I started. And if I end here, then that's awesome.
4: You mentioned being a part of the new regime. Blackhawks have been struggling last couple of seasons, had a had kind yeah. of a down year last year. What what's your expectation? How long do you think it's gonna take for the Blackhawks to go from where they are to back to being able to challenge for a Stanley Cup?
1: Well, that's a that's always uh a troublesome question because you don't know. Like, look at some of the great teams that have really tried hard to get back to winning again, that there were winners before. Like, I, I, Detroit's a great example. And I tell you what, the late owner there, Mike Illich, is a phenomenal person, a local businessman. Rocky Wirtz, Chicago, same thing. And and they, they built their empire on winning and bringing the people back. And, you know, you know it takes Detroit a, a, a while, and they've had some good picks. Chicago though has the benefit of getting the lucky number 1 overall at a time in which Connor Bedard is a phenomenal young prospect so how long will it take you know the i would have to think that when you have a player like that if you look at Edmonton with with Connor McDavid or other players that have had first overall picks even even uh, in, in in New Jersey and then they had Hughes, and then they have like, they've had some good picks and look how quickly they picked up. So is it five years to be in the playoffs or three years to be in the playoffs and five years to compete? I'd probably say three years in the playoffs and five years to compete again and get it into the playoffs. I think one thing I should, I should say, it's very important to get your young players into a playoff series. Cause I know as a media guy, how different it is. It's, it's everybody's in your locker room, more networks are talking. So you want to put pressure on your young kids so they experience it. Whether they win early or not, it doesn't matter. But you want them to experience what it's like being in the heat and in the fire. And then, you, you know, you find out what kind of athletes you have when it comes down to that.
4: Hang on one more before I let you go. And I want to go back to golf for this last one. We, just saw, we just saw Brian Harmon win the Open Championship. What did you Love think it. about what you saw from him?
1: Love the little bald left hander. Are you kidding me? <laughs> man, oh man. I, I sent a I sent a tweet out and and in fact I'm in a I'm in a I'm in a pool and I picked Brian uh to win. And uh Wow you know, my re my reasoning was, and there was I think we had 198 players or 202 players, something like that, and I think six of us picked Harmon to win it. And my my explanation was I love the mallet putter in the wind. And they talked about you have to, to draw, you know, into the wind there in, in England. And and I'm thinking, that Harman, he can hit whatever he wants to hit. And I always like him. He's he's just got a great center of gravity and he's got a you know, I, I like his swing. It's simple. And I, I even though I'm right handed and he's left handed I kind of watch it and I'm like, whoa, I like this guy. So I always pick Brian Harmon. So I was very excited to uh to see him win. And also like I use a phrase in hockey, a little guy with gumption. And it's something that I, I back up a lot of little guys because I'm one of the smallest goalies to ever play in the NHL, but it's like, it's not really about that. It's about what you have inside when the pressure's on and how much gumption you have when there's a bit of a battle. So I was really happy to see a guy that's been top 10, top 10, top 10. And he always competes, but this was a perfect tournament. I thought for Brian Harman to win. And by the way, I love that that smirkish like smile that he had in that presentation when they asked me want an umbrella and he said, it's been raining on me all day. I'll be fine. Like he just, he just had something about him that I really admired and I'd love to meet Brian Harmon at some point in my life.
4: What'd you think about the story he told about the guy that was along the ropes as he walked by on Saturday, who yelled out to him, Hey Harmon, you don't have the stones for this.
1: Yeah, there, there's something about being a little guy. And I remember my first game in the NHL, I was backing up. I was called up from Milwaukee of the IHL to Chicago. I backed up against the Montreal Canadiens, a team that I adored. I couldn't stop staring at Larry Robinson and Bob Ganey and Gila Fleur and you name it. And Larry Robinson, who's a wonderful man, stopped Doug Wilson, who was our and who's a Hall of Famer. And he stopped him and, and he said, hey, where's the other half of your goalie? <laughs> and of course, that was, you <laughs> know, wow. that was me. I'm five foot four and a half. I'm 135 pounds, and I probably did look like a goalie that should be playing Pee Wee or Bantam. And anyway, I, I remember Doug told me that after, and I'm like, okay. And then I went to you know, I, I, next year I didn't make the team. I I could tell I wasn't good enough, and I'm like, I need I need to be better. Next year I didn't make the team, but I had a better training camp. I said I, I got to get better. You got I I need more intestinal fortitude and more you know like. And so I think that's great. I think what that person said to Brian Harmon was perfect for Brian Harmon. Like, like that's, that's what makes it like, uh, just cause you're tall, good looking and slender doesn't mean you're going to win everything. Like you need some gumption. You need some intestinal fortitude. i like to say, so it was great to see Brian Harmon do that. And I mean, shove it, shove that warm beer. You, you know, what, you know what I'm talking about.
4: I do. <laughs> Panger, before I let you go, remind our listeners, how can we stay up to date with all the great things you're doing and follow you, whether it's online or it's on social media?
1: Well, I'm on at Panger40, um, has always been my Twitter account. And uh, a lot of the hockey guys uh, follow me, not for my hockey acumen. They, they like to know what golf trips I've gone on in my life. And, uh, and also my you know mirror, uh, I've got Donnie O's is on tap. But Kat, you know Catherine Tappan? Uh, unbelievable, um, person and, and reporter she's done so much in, in whether it be on NBC or, or in the NHL. Uh, anyway, we're going to, we're going to have a podcast starting up in in sometime about mid September, uh, called back to you. And, uh, so we're excited about that. And, uh, you'll see me on TNT as well. I just signed a new three-year deal with them and, and, and with the Blackhawks here on, on, uh, NBC sports network, Chicago. So, uh, on Instagram, I'm terrible on Instagram, but it's Darren R. Pang. If you, if you want to follow me there. So I appreciate you saying that and, uh, hopefully, uh, hopefully people follow and, and I can humor them a little bit. There you
4: go. Darren, I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your busy schedule to come back and be a part of the show. You're just one of the most wonderful, positive, energetic people that uh, someone gets to meet in this life. And I've been privileged now to have you as part of this show twice. And uh, I hope I get that privilege again sometime soon.
1: That sounds great. Chris, anytime I uh, love being on the show and I love talking about life, hockey, golf. And again, I'm going to, I'm going to stay in hockey for as long as I can just to pay for my golf. (laughs) No doubt. (laughs) That's fantastic.
4: Panger. Take care my friend, all the best to you and your family. Look forward to catching up with you again soon.
1: All right. Take care. Thank you.
4: See you Darren. That is the great Darren Pang folks. And it just doesn't get any better than that guy. Um, just like I said, one of the most positive, energetic people you get to meet in this life. And he brings that energy to everything he does as a, as a, as an announcer and as a broadcaster is fantastic. And like I say, he, he, he made his way into my heart with all the great things that he's done on the Olympic broadcast. And then he obviously is great. On, uh, for, for the St. Louis Blues, and he'd be even better now with, with the Chicago Blackhawks back where he, he got his start, but a fantastic offer. Listen to the, I mean, the amazing courses that he's played multiple times. How awesome is that? I mean, I'm jealous as I could be. So we'll pick his brain a little bit more on some of the details about some of those great places next time around. Be sure to give him a follow at Panger40 on Twitter, Darren R. Pang on Instagram. And looking forward to he and Catherine Tappen doing their own podcast back to you starting next month. So we'll stay up to date with what that's like and hopefully get to plug that a little bit for Darren along the way as well and get him back on the show again soon and talk about those amazing trips. And then probably a little bit about what's going on in the hockey season as well with the Blackhawks. Folks, before I close up shop tonight, you've heard me talk about some great products that I saw at the PGA Merchandise Show. And another one that stood out to me is On Point Golf game-changing three-dimensional ball markers that science shows will help us see the line better when we're putting and therefore make more putts and lower our scores. See for yourself why Jim Furick and I are big fans by going online to onpointgolf.us. All right, my friends, it is time for me to put a bow on this edition of Next on the Team. My sincere thanks go out again to Tom Patrick, Richard Zockel, Michael Verska, and Darren Pang for joining me this week. Scheduled to join me next week are LPGA legend Jane Blaylock is going to be back. Always a good time getting to spend some time with Jane. We'll also get a return visit from a wonderful friend of the show, Mark Kalkovecki. And Kalk makes the the segment so much fun, so looking forward to having him back as well. Rich Katz, who was the CEO of Billy Casper Golf for many years and is now consulting with the new Golf Nation platform. He'll be making his next On the T debut, and Rich is a fantastic guy. And then we're going to round things out with a return visit from a guy who was just on just not all that long ago, probably just a few weeks ago, actually. Adaptive golf instructor Joe Groman will be back as part of the show. So it's going to be a fun time next week, folks. I hope you'll come back and be a part of it with us. Folks, you can find the show available as a podcast. It's about anywhere you get your podcast content. In particular, we're out there on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Audioboom, Player.fm, Good Pods. And like I said at the top of the show, It's such a thrill to have this show now available out there on Trip Live. It's an honor and a privilege, and I thank those folks very, very much. But most of all, my thanks go out to all of you for being the greatest supporters in the history of podcasts. I appreciate you all so very much. Until next week, hit them straight, my friends.